Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everyone to the flagship show of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. This is ESSR Central. My name is Ross McLeod, joined again by Scott McLeod. Scott, I said last week when you were on that you were on for a quiet week after you know, everything CM Punk and AEW Wembley related. It's certainly not been that way this week. Um, we've had the 1000 episode of Impact, Becky Lynch has won an NXT title, People have left WWE, people have left AEW. Oh, and just a small matter of the fact that The Rock's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seemed like the the next day and a half or so after you and I uh, recorded our episode, is like, Jesus, can things just stop fucking happening? The central group <laughs> chat, notifications, fucking every half hour on the dot of something happening. Like, all this, all this is going to happen. And I'm thinking, Jesus, by the time we get to central next week, It'll be immediately the next day, like, oh, everything else is irrelevant because now all this has happened now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's why we are going to do Central in a couple of parts here today. Uh, we are recording the Monday, uh, Monday the 18th of September. We are going to review Impact Wrestling 1000 episode, part one, spreading it across two episodes. I think it's quite smart because they want to do kind of a celebration of Impact. And looking forward to the future impact, they've been quite good with that, with their Slammiversary, you know, 20th Anniversary Edition and bringing back people. Um, what did you make of the show overall, just before we go into it? I thought it was quite a good nostalgic show with still a lot of the current superstars on display. Yeah, I enjoyed it for the most part. I know there's a lot more to come in, in next week's episode, but... It was pretty much what you expect, like we see it at WWE tribute shows and everything, like video packages, people hitting the same points. Like, did you do you know that nobody thought they'd reach a thousand episodes? Because everyone who mentioned it was a thousand episodes told you just that uh, during the show. So, yeah, like, I wasn't going to further a lot of the storylines in terms of going to Bound for Glory, but I didn't really need to. So, and the crowd who anybody in New York seemed to be up for everything. Yeah, they did. They seem to be uh, hot for everything. So let's talk about the opening uh, segment. It was a promo train with the knockout. So Scott Demore is in the ring. Scott Demore, uh, world famous knockout that he is. Um, <laughs> he introduces Gail Kim, uh, the greatest knockout of all time, as he calls her. Um, 
She comes out, she's then interrupted by the beautiful people, Angelina Love and Velvet Sky, who are then interrupted by Jordan Grace. The rule is in wrestling, if a face talks, a heel interrupts. If a heel talks, a face interrupts. Uh, then interrupted by Deanna, uh, sorry, by, who was it? Giselle Shaw came out first, then Jordan Grace, because Giselle Grace. interrupted the beautiful people, basically saying that she appreciated what they did, but she's done what they did, but better. Yeah. Then Jordan Grace, then Deanna Perrazzo, then Trinity, then Awesome Kong, then uh, Tasha Steeles makes her return uh, unexpectedly. And then, of course, when there's a spotlight to be had in the knockouts division or a spotlight to be stolen, Mickey James will be there bringing it down and making it all about her. I really don't like her. Anyway, um, this was a decent segment, a uh, little too long in parts. Uh, certain people like the beautiful people and Diana Perrazzo, and certainly uh, I liked Rashida Khan introducing Kong. She didn't need to talk. Her presence was the was the big attraction. Um, certainly ran rings around other people on the mic. Um, I've put my notes here. This was like a Judd Apatow film. It had some good lines and a decent cast, but it was about 15 minutes too long. It had a run <laughs> This uh, segment of 22 minutes and 14 seconds. Um, the longest segment on the show by a good bit. Um, so I've put down... Three good points and three bad points, and we'll go through them uh, for this segment because there's a lot to digest. Um, good point. First off, the return of the beautiful people. Um, Angelina Love has been in NWA. Uh, Velvet Sky has been working as a producer. She's recently left the company. I'm surprised they've not been brought back before now. Um, such a integral part in the early uh, part of the Knockouts division, certainly in the Knockouts tag team scene. Um, we've seen... Um, Oh, Christ, what's her name? Who was the other beautiful uh, person? Uh, Madison, Madison Rain. Madison Rain. I had Lacey Von Eric in my head for some reason. I'm like, no, definitely well, yeah, not. She was, yeah, she was there too, yeah. I mean, no, the, I know I know they got the Von Eric film coming out and it'll probably be sad, but it's not any more of a tragedy than trying to watch Lacey Von Eric <laughs> wrestle and try and get the claw over as a convincing finisher in 2010. <laughs> I think it's a convincing finisher if you're a convincing wrestler, which she was neither. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised they haven't been bought, brought back before now. We've seen Madison Rain doing stuff with the company uh, in the lockdown era, uh, recently tagging with uh, uh, Tennille Dashwood before she returned to WWE. So yeah, surprised they've not been back before now. And I liked that they still had the same gimmick. They weren't trying to do a, a nostalgia pop. They were trying to be heels and getting the match over and trying to disparage Gail Kim as much as possible mm-hmm. Yeah, I did love uh, they did the old entrance, obviously the, the cameraman getting as close to their ass as possible and Matthew Real joking about this was always the moment when your parents walked in to the room <laughs> which, which I think every wrestling fan has that kind of feeling of you know, something good happens nobody's there when you see it, something inappropriate or embarrassing happens when you're watching Raw or whatever it is you're watching that's when somebody walks into the room and I agree with them trying to be dicks and everything and you know everyone else is all about you know, reminiscing and everything but as much as like Velvet Sky I think for I remember when we were watching on Challenge like had a good run as a baby face for the most part the beautiful people were a heel act so it wouldn't really be fitting of the beautiful people that people remember uh, if they came out as they thank the fans for like a thousand episodes so I think it was just 
it was, it was basically like let's give them what they remember because they're going to be on the heel team next week anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Madison Rain retired from in ring uh, action, but still said she's going to be involved with professional wrestling. She was going back to college back in 2016. I would wonder if a decent offer came out came up. Um, if she would possibly return with uh, Angelina Love. They're both only 42-year-old. Um, Mickey James is still pretty much full-time involved with Impact at 44. And, you know, we have seen recently in the Knockouts Tag Division, it's pretty much, you know, it was quite stacked at one point. It's now pretty much Death Dolls. They've done that to death. Um, the Killing, uh, MK Ultra, who are kind of thrown together, and Giselle Shaw and Savannah Evans, who have kind of been thrown together as well. There's not enough depth in the division at the minute. And MK Ultra going up against the beautiful people with, you know, their kind of killer gimmick and the beautiful people trying to be dastardly heels, trying their very best to, you know, win at all costs and trying to avoid uh, ever fighting them again. I think that could be a good storyline. So great to yeah, see them back. Sorry, you go. Yeah, I think they could have been uh, a good kind of one-off for a couple of months run. Like you had fucking Jazz come back for that brief run where her and Jordan were tagging, trying to go after the belts. And I think especially when the belts were reintroduced, having them come back for a couple of months helped get over some of the newer teams that they were establishing because uh, they had a really you know, stop-start you know, trajectory of those tag team belts when they were introduced. I think most people can agree from like the 2010-2011 era uh, of those belts, the most time, the most they were ever really relevant within Impact was probably when some combination of the beautiful people was, you know, was doing what's holding the belts, and you know, where it was Angelina and Velvet, or you know, they used to do like a freebird style thing there, and I believe they even did one. I think it was like they did like Angelina and Tara were on one side, and Angelina was the tight was the knockout champion. They had Madison and Velvet on the other side, and it was like a winner takes all style mm-hmm. match. So I think the beautiful people are probably from the original one of those belts, probably the most synonymous team with those belts. Yeah, and it would be good to see them back. Glad to see them back anyway for this. Um, Diana Perrazzo, another good part of this, flawlessly playing the role the company needs her to. This week she's the heel, which I thought was a bit weird. And um, I'll maybe skip by this part because I've also put it in the bad when it comes to Jordan Grace. Um, but yeah, uh, Diana Perrazzo, Playing sort of a tweener character, a face, but not a, a goody-goody two-shoes face um, in the absence of a lot of people, you know, currently leaving the company, Chelsea Green, Tineo Dashwood, uh, Jordan Grace taking time off, uh, Mickey James taking time off as well. And Diona kind of carried the division. And I think um, we're going to talk later on about uh, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley uh, being taken for granted I think Diana is very much taken for granted here. We saw at, um, was that Mer- no, sorry, Victory Road, that she fought Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace had this sort of more intense heel gimmick. Diana played the face. And now this week, it's like Jordan Grace is playing the face and Diana is playing the heel. So um, we'll go more into that when we talk about Jordan Grace and the bad bit. But Diana playing the heel role flawlessly here, I thought was pretty good. Uh, another good I've put is Tasha Steele's being back, bringing death back to the division. Could lead to a possible feud with her and Giselle over Savannah Evans. Savannah Evans, uh, formerly Tasha Steele's um, 
heavy. Um, now uh, Giselle Shaw's head of security in the Shortarage. Uh, I really didn't expect her being back. I know this was a pre-taped Impact 1000. I avoided all spoilers and I popped for this. I, I didn't expect to see her back. Yeah, I, I was surprised as well. The thing about the heel side of things, well, the beautiful people got booed, Giselle got booed, Gorm uh, got the, the response, the, like, the face response, because obviously nostalgia and everything, and Tasha got the benefit of that initial, oh my God, pop, like because people, like you said, weren't expecting to see her, whereas Diona was there, just kind of like, yeah, I lost to you last night, Jordan, but you know, that's like one, and I've got, you've got one, I've got four, basically, so she's kind of brushing it off, everything, kind of going back and forth with you know, even Gail had to kind of smell it, noise the fact that despite Diona acting the heels, she was getting very loud virtuosa chants. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of things spoiled for me. Both of them happened on the first part, so thankfully I'm going into next week's. Thankfully I'm going into part two uh, spoiler free. But I, as the main event, I got spoiled the result of that. And who was going to come back as the mystery partner for the face side? So I already knew about that. And I thought, oh, well, that makes sense. So I was still racking my brains to who would be the fifth. Personally, I was surprised he wouldn't have Velvet go in for one more match and on the heel side since she's already there alongside Angelina. And then like, I think she, I don't know how long it's been since Tasha's been gone, but I remember feeling like she was a like somebody they really could build the division around when they were having her, you know, beat Mickey James initially, being that whole grace that beat the greatest catchphrase that she had. But like I didn't recognise her music at first. And so I had a proper oh ah like oh yes he's back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really happy to see Dasha back because I think she's really, I definitely think she's been, especially since we've seen other people, since she's been going leave, you know, like Tennille and like Master and even Chelsea Green. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think she's been gone since at least last August. I know heading into a Slammiversary, I think it was the... It was the ladder match they did where Jordan Grace uh, won the knockouts title. Tasha Steeles went into that as champion. I think she did the rematch and then maybe a couple of tag matches with Savannah. Uh, they broke up. I think there was a. I think there was a. Sorry to go. Yeah, like they also done the breakup at one point with the the titles. I think at least at one point before she went, she did something with Mickey, like Mickey getting her win back. Because the whole thing of Mickey was going through people that had beaten her. On, yeah. on her whole last rodeo thing, so she beat Chelsea, which sent Chelsea back in, and then she, she got the win back over Dionna, because Dionna was, uh, not Dionna, uh, Tasha, because Tasha was bragging about how she beat Mickey twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think maybe the the end of 2022 was the last time we saw Tasha Steeles, but I could be wrong. Uh, but great to see her back. Let's talk about the bad. Um and I've already touched on it with the good being Jordan Grace, eh, sorry, uh, Diana Perazzo, flawlessly going between heel and face. Jordan Grace flip-flopping um, really, to me, didn't make sense. And it didn't come across as natural. Um, I thought she was really good as the heel character at a turning point. And making, kind of trying to make Diana out to be the glory hunter and the moment stealer when the whole thing was that, you know, after the all the first all-female Impact main event where they had a female ring announcer, they had Gail Kim in commentary, they had um, the female referee, and they had, obviously, Trinity versus, Trinity versus Deanna for the Knockouts title. Jordan Grace decides to have her video package right before that, and it was all about Jordan Grace is trying to make it about her. Jordan Grace tries to make Deanna out to be a bit of a glory hunter. Uh, 
I'm sorry, Jordan, but Gianna's been here um, flying the flag. You've been touting yourself to WWE and AEW the past month or so. So I really, I really didn't like that. I thought it would have kind of made more sense to keep Diana as she is, the uneasy alliance sort of thing with Trinity, because you can always revisit that, and have Jordan Grace on the heel team. But, you know, as it was, they didn't do that. But I, I, I really didn't like that's, that particular segment of it. Yeah, well, Jordan, you know, as much as I like her, I don't think she's ever been the strongest on the microphone. I think they're trying to keep this thing with her and Diana going, because I think they're trying to build certain people, because there's often there's a lot in the uh, hype packages they were talking about the knockouts, the reason they talked about the, the feud between Kong and uh, Gail Kim, so I think they're trying to build a new kind of long-running rival within the knockout division between Diana and, and Jordan and Grace, so I think they're just trying to keep them at odds, and I think this is maybe like a feel-good kind of nostalgia show with, like, I think the result of what's going to happen in the next week's 10-man tag is obvious, so, like, we're not going to bother, like, saying, oh, this person's a heel now, or face, now, like, you know them as a heel, you know them as a face, could probably be a feel-good win next week, but it's not, like, give it too much until we're all, until we get to the next taping. No, I, I liked it and I didn't like it. I could understand the Dudley Boys thing, um, even though I, I'm not a fan of it, but at the same time, the Jordan Grace and Deanna one, because it's two different people, I, I just I didn't understand it. Anyway, um, the bad, Gail Kim, anytime she's near a microphone, my God, she is bad on the microphone. Listen, Gail Kim is an impact legend, okay? WWE dropped the ball in ring with Gail Kim twice. However, Gail Kim cannot talk. They, they talk about five tool players. Well, Gail Kim's very good at the other four tools, but she's missing a spanner, and that spanner is, <laughs> is working the microphone. She cannot talk. She's a horrendous commentator. I am sure... Like in ring, in ring, she's had some great matches and impact. And again, as I said, WWE dropped the ball, and that's on them. Backstage, I'm sure she's invaluable to helping put matches together for the knockouts division because she's great in ring, as I said. However, whenever she is on the microphone, it is cringeworthy. I mean, do you remember when Awesome Kong got inducted before Bound for Glory 2021 uh, to the Impact Hall of Fame? And Gail Kim came out and gave a speech that was longer than Kong's. She took up all the airtime talking and she didn't say anything. Like, she was trying to tell a story and everyone's just like, what? And it didn't start out like that, by the way. It didn't start out people being dicks. People were excited to see her. And then eventually after about five minutes and it being boring, they started going, what? What? She's absolutely horrendous on the microphone. Even the one good line she had, uh, you know, people were arguing about being knockouts champion. And Diana says, uh, I'll see your one and raise you three. And uh, Gail Kim says, yeah, call me when you've got seven. That's a great line. And if Mickey James had put that across as much as a despiser, it would have been a good line. But Gail Kim delivered it like she was telling someone, hi, that's 246, please, at the till. <laughs> She she delivered it with all the enthusiasm of the Saturday girl behind the fag counter at Asda. That's, you know, that is how good she was on the mic. I just, Gail Kim has her place in the Hall of Fame and Impact and she has her place backstage and she has her place if they want to do, you know, in-ring matches. But on the mic, I'm sorry, she shouldn't be anywhere near it. Uh, I really didn't 
Well, clearly, I didn't think about it clearly enough as you did, just because of, at this <laughs> point, by the, by the, I, I enjoyed the line uh, about you know, call me when you've had seven. By this point, I'm like, this segment, are they going to have every fucker come out here who's <laughs> in this match? By this point, I checked out and I'm like, please end. This is a two, we only got two hours of Impact TV a week and you're taking up a lot of like, did Stephanie McMahon and Triple H book this segment? It's yes. going on, it's going on that long. I mean, we all know that it wasn't the knockouts who created women's wrestling. It's obviously Stephanie McMahon created the concept of women's wrestling. Oh, you know, you cool. talk about our lack, you talk about our lack of emotion. I mean, he's clearly had a lot of work done. You know, Botox will do that to you. <laughs> Um, this yeah, this was as much as you so again as you mentioned. See, I'm as good as talking as Gail Kim is. As you mentioned, uh, Triple H and Stephanie Man. This was reminiscent. Do you remember those god awful authority promos where they went like 20 minutes before Raw every week and they didn't say anything, like they just told you everything that WWE had announced via Twitter. It was it was completely pointless. Um, so let's get to the last bad point, Mickey James. And I am sick of the, the the rewriting when it comes to Mickey James and the knockouts division, okay? Mickey James is good in ring. Mickey James had that, you know, classic stalker feud with Trish Stratus um years ago. But you know, let's let's remember it was years ago. It was two it was two thousand six. Yeah. I mean, Jacob started in 2005, but it ramped up in 2006. So 2006. And again, another person that WWE dropped the ball with. Um, but, of course, when there's a spotlight to be stole, she's there. She came into the knockouts division 2010-2011, uh, around about the time where Hulk Hogan and Bischoff basically only wanted ex-WWE guys. And Impact lost a lot of what it was because... Ex-WWE guys that were cast-offs were basically everybody's champion. And she was champion, and she was a champion at a time where no one was watching. Uh, then she had some god-awful gimmicks. Then she was murdered, apparently, um, <laughs> in character by James Storm. And then as soon as WWE came calling again, you know, she for years she was like, Oh yeah, I'll never go back. I'll never go back. I'll never go back. As soon as WWE calling came calling again, she went back. And it, you know, I'll be honest, and David Campbell slides me for this all the time. I'm a moody big git because part of my job as host here on Central is to constantly be on the internet and you know see the fan reaction to people. So sometimes I'm maybe a bit slower to get behind people with internet buzz because. You know, in the since 2018 being on this podcast and since 2021 being the host, I've seen a lot of internet buzz come and then die down within three weeks. And then people hate that person for some reason. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not getting behind this until it has a bit of substantial stuff. People in WWE, when Mickey James was there, were getting sick of her. They were like, you know, just release her. You know, it's a shame she's not on screen, but, you know, maybe she's kind of ran a race with WWE. And then she got her big bit of support because WWE sent her her stuff in a trash bag, right? Apparently. And she went, oh, you know, I've been so disrespected. You know, this is outrageous. I'm this and I'm that and I'm the next thing. It's like, no, you were hot in 2006 in WWE. And you were on top and impact in an era when no one was watching. And it's 
still maligned to this day, the Hogan and Bischoff era. So you're maybe think, overthinking yourself. And then every single feud she had been in, in Impact Wrestling, for those that are not watching Impact, it's kind of been like see Jericho in AEW recently, where he comes in, he takes all the momentum, and then win or lose, and in Jericho's case, it's lose a lot more recently. In her case, it's win a lot. It doesn't matter because the person that comes out with the momentum is them regardless because they don't run with the other person. She's done nothing but steal the spotlight since she came back from Savannah Evans, Deanna Perazzo and Jordan Grace. Um, she's not the knockouts trailblazer they make her out to be. See, people like Gail Kim, as much as I've slated her, her microphone skills, she's a knockout trailblazer. The beautiful people are knockout trailblazers. Uh, a Hall of Famer who we'll talk about later Maybe not the best in ring, but still a knockouts trailblazer. Uh, awesome Kong, a knockouts trailblazer. And it's just, it's this change of history because of that feud with Trish Stratus that people look and go, oh, well, well she's, she's impact through and through. No, she's not. She does more damage to the people she feuds with than, than good. She doesn't put as many people over as she should. And she doesn't have as big a back catalogue of good matches as she thinks she does. Mickey James is a spotlight stealer and I hated seeing her back. Yeah, we had a set amount of time we wanted to do a lot to Impact 1000. I think you've used most of it, if not all of it, just to talk about this thing, particularly just so you have an excuse to shit on Mickey James. Not that I'm going to disagree with any points you've, you've said, because <laughs> I find Mickey James, like, whenever they insist on having her on commentary, like, when they, used, when they did that knockouts knockdown special a couple of years ago, and they insisted on having on commentary there, and, like, she just, for whatever reason, seems incapable of properly putting over the people who she's feeding with the reason she's on commentary, like, oh, you know, so-and-so, they'll, even though Matthew Ray will properly point out, yeah, but they have beaten you multiple times, whatever, it'd be like, yeah, yeah, but they've got, but so-and-so's got a bad attitude, therefore I don't like them, or, or I can't, so I can't say anything nice about them, like, yeah, like but most wrestling logic says you put somebody over, you, over, but you also get over why you guys are feuding, why you have a dis, why you don't like each other. Like, like for example, Triple H and Cactus Jack put each other over how dangerous they were before their their street fight. They also said, "But I'm this, which is why I am that much, that little bit better." So mm. she's not doing that. I mean, Jordan Grizzly like said, I think part of the reason she might have decided to briefly check other options a while back. Is because clearly I think they were building to her getting her win back over Mickey this time as a heel, but then Mickey's injury uh, derailed that. And even then, like they gave it, they took right up until the go home impact before rebellion before confirming if she was going to be injured or not. But then you realise, wait a minute, this was filmed in late. This taping happened. All these episodes leading up to rebellion were taped in mid March. Rebellion's in April, so you knew a month beforehand she wasn't going to be there. And you still made us think, you had her show up at the fucking multiverse show and still tease, oh, I might be there, I might be a triple threat. Like, fuck off, either you're there or you're not, don't, don't, oh, I might, like, she's like the guest at a fire, like, oh, I might head up the road, I might get a taxi, I, I can stay for one more, like, well, yeah, just fuck off out of my house, it's two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, like, because we had that with both the knockouts in the men's division this year with uh, Alexander and um, Mickey James both getting injured. Alexander just came out and went, look, I need surgery. There you go, there's the belt. Mickey James kind of made it all about herself. And I think this is something I, I 
I don't like about Impact. They kind of let people like Mickey walk all over. And as I said, she's good, but she's not as good as she thinks she is. She's certainly not better in ring than the current knockouts of Deanna and Jordan. She's not better classically than Awesome Kong or Gail Kim. So I'm sorry, I just... I, I, and I know I've ranted, and look, I did... I put three good things, so I went, right, I'll put three bad things. I've been nitpicking about the mic skills about Gail Kim and about the flip-flopping with Jordan Grace and Deanna, but those are unoffensively bad things. The fact that she puts herself front and centre... It's quite frankly offensive, and I don't like it. But I'm going to move on now. Right, can we just talk about offensive things here? Like, and I know maybe I'm looking at it with you know new sensibilities here. But yes, thank you. good Kong's back, and yes, we used to say he was a part of our character originally, but she shouldn't have been. It's a white woman <laughs> playing an Arab character. She still mm. tried to do the accent, which yeah. has somehow gotten worse over the years. Like. <laughs> I know Kong's thing wasn't maybe was maybe original. Oh, she's scary. She doesn't talk. She has someone do the talking for her. But we've seen her in Glow. We know she can talk and quite well, thankfully. Or you don't even need to have her talk. Just have her stare at everybody and fans will chat. Holy shit! Because they know Kong's here. Some shit might be about to go down. Yeah, um, very Ahmed the dead terrorist. The impression that's what I got from it. But we'll uh, we'll move on there. Uh, a backstage promo with three TNA originals. Uh, America, America's most wanted, alongside Eric Young. They drop a beer bottle. The glass smashes, and Shark Boy is back. Um, Shark Boy is the deputy director of authority tonight. As Santino says, he needs some backup. Um, we go into feast and fi- uh, feast are fired. There will be four briefcases on uh, up on the totem poles. There is a world title shot, a digital media shot, a tag team title shot, and a P forty five or a pink slip if you're in America. Um, I'll go through the three winners and then you can talk to me about some of your favourite parts of this match. So case number three was the first to come down. Chris Bay grabbed that. <coughs> the rule is you have to get off the turnbuckle into the ring and then onto the floor. Chris Bay did a dive onto the floor. He saved himself. Crazy Steve grabbed case number one. I can only hope it has his pink slip in it. He stabbed Brian Myers with a fork <laughs> and then dived out the ring as Moose went, I don't want stabbed with a fork. Case number four, Yuta Yutamora. Him and Joe Hendry played a bit of keep away from uh, Steve Macklin before he got out to the, got to the outside safely. Case number four, Steve Macklin brought it down but before he could get out the ring, the returning rhino gored him so hard, <laughs> gored Macklin into next week, causing him to launch the case, and Moose caught it on the floor. Moose has caught case number two. So, Scott, who do you think has what, and what would you like to see? I mean, I remember when, when Rhino came out, he was like, oh, it's Rhino, because people were popping or whatever. So, like, who else is in the match? Please don't be PCO. Like, keep Macklin and PCO away from each other. Then when Rhino, oh, Rhino... Macklin's the one who injured him all those months ago. Like, did he? I remember they had a match, which was significantly better than the prospect of Macklin PCO. But I don't remember it being, that being a thing. But, you know, Reiner can at least still move. So I don't mind another, you know, legend costing Steve Macklin an opportunity because this one can still go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I like the way the Moose one happened because the way they kept emphasising you must touch the ground with the case made you think, okay, as the time was going on, like, Clearly, there's going to be something like, and someone's going to get screwed out of their case. And of course, the person to benefit from that is Moose, because mm-hmm. we've seen what Moose can do with the briefcase. I mean, initially, I was going to say that 
Chris Bay maybe had the title tag title shot, but I think that's like going to end up going to Moose and Myers in mm-hmm. their case. Maybe it just looks like Ace and Bay are going to get the belts back from the Rascals. Moose can once again screw somebody over, and Moose and Myers can like steal the tag team titles. Mm-hmm. And then, so yeah. pretty much that leaves the other one. But then again, you've also got Yuya there with Zoya, so like I'm just focused on out of all of them, I'm more focused on who's going to get the tag team title shot. And yeah, because it's three tag team wrestlers, which I think they did well because um, you and Joe, although a thrown together team, is working well. Moose and Myers, you know, aren't going to last long, but for now they have this uneasy alliance. So having I'm three guys, sorry, you go. Sorry, no, you go. Okay, having three guys who can also be single stars, but also and have been single stars, but also. Currently in tag teams, I think was quite smart because you also had the likes of, uh, you know, uh, what's his face, Jonathan Gresham and uh, Mike Bailey, who have been in a tag team recently. Uh, Jonathan was in that. Mike Bailey will be in the exhibition match next week, and you had Steve Mackler and Rich Swan in there. So you did have people who have been in tag teams where you could have went right if they get the tag shot, at least they know they've got a partner. So I quite enjoyed that. I quite enjoyed the ambiguity of it. Yeah. I think maybe Crazy Steve might get the digital media one because maybe they'll try and use this whole Crazy Fork thing to set up some sort of hardcore stipulation with him and Tommy for the mm-hmm. title. And I think, weirdly, even though I'm enjoying their tag team, it still has legs. I'm wondering if, you, well, even though he's technically not an employee, Yuya gets the fired one and that's mm-hmm. how he gets sent back to Japan because obviously... His running impact was never going to be a long term thing because he's on his excursion, and there's mm-hmm. quite a few guys who who were sent away on the same time as him, and they've all come back. They've all got gimmicks. They're all on big programs right now, and hell, even the current class of young lions they brought in after them, two of them have already started going off on their excursions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of inevitable that Yuya is on his way back to starting his whatever his new Japan has planned for him. Yeah, I, I think all all roads lead to Yuya. Uh, being fired, I think. Um, Crazy Steve, digital media title, I think so, yeah. Which, which by default, then, if, it, if that's what if it works out the way we think, it means Chris Bay might be in for a world title shot, which I'm not against. I, I think if Chris Bay gets the title shot, he'll fight Alex Shelley on, a rest, on an episode of Impact. If Moose gets the world title shot, then I think... He'll wait, and I think Josh Alexander will win the title back. And then I think Moose and him, because Moose pinned him uh, in that big eight, uh, 10-person tag. No, uh, eight-man tag. Eight-man tag at um, Emergence. So there is that thing set up there. Plus Chris Bay and um, Chris Bay and Ace Austin have been screwed over by the Rascals constantly. Uh, half of the Rascals and half of... Uh, Ace and Bay are going to be in the X Division title match, sorry, number one contenders match next week. So that sets that up as well. So, um, get to you about the Rascals, though. Here's a weird thing. I'm sure I saw it, and I think I shared it with you guys in Central Chat. They advertised at one point in the taping, it'll be Trey Miguel versus Alex Shelley at this taping for did. the world title. And now, did, yeah. it's, and now it's Zachary Wentz in the X Division went, and then Trey Miguel is apparently going to fight Josh Alexander next week. and which is weird. And yeah, Jerk Boy is the direct, uh, deputy director of authority because Santino might need help. The most 
unruly thing that happened was Josh Alexander walked by the rascals who looked like they hadn't cleaned their room up because they just had junk food all over the place. <laughs> like a couple of fucking 15-year-olds just like, hey, look at our belts, man. Like, Because their whole gimmick used to be back in the day when they used to do the treehouse things was they'd basically just do the circle from that 70s show. No, uh, we can't do that anymore, Christ. Moving on. Uh, team 3D versus the Desi Hit Squad. It was fine. A nice nostalgia team victory. It was like, uh, versus a team that no one cares about, it was like if the NWO and the APA beat up Los Matadores instead of beating up the longest reigning NXT tag champs. But enough about that. Um, Scott, anything to say about the match? I remember thinking, oh, Jesus, we're heat I remember when he was X-Division champion for a while in 2020, and then he just buggered off. And, yeah, I mean, I know Team Team you were probably never going to, you know, not win their, their big you know, farewell match, but considering we might never ever see them wrestle as a tag team again under this whole Legends deal, unless they do a one-off thing in WWE, but I think I've heard multiple stories that physically, other than after this, bloody Dave one's knackered, so... Mm-hmm. Now it's just going to be that weird trivia question. Who did Team 3D or Slash Dudley Boys beat in their final ever match? These two random enhancement guys, because that, that's how Impact used them, on Impact Wrestling, they beat the Daisy Hit Squad. Yes, I haven't heard of them either. <laughs> yeah, they will go down as a trivia question. I think Team 3D will, I mean, what's the next big thing in WWE? Is it maybe 25 years of SmackDown that maybe show up for that? I don't know, but... I mean, I think part of the reason they want to get them doing that whole Legends thing is they're probably, given that WrestleMania is in Philly next year, they, they're already in the Hall of Fame, but they probably want to have them do a bunch of appearances and try to ring what's left in that very dry mm-hmm. tool that is ECW for next ring year. Ring that tie-dye flannel clean. But they scrape to the bottom of the aisle, through the wood, through the floor, and about six feet further <laughs> into the ground. But um, the next segment, as you mentioned, Alexander's backstage with the Rascals who are supposed to be stoned. Uh, Josh tells them, clean up their mess, they get in each other's faces, the Rascals back down. Uh, Josh Alexander cuts a promo talking about his four years in impact from a viewer to a champion. He's very happy about his four years here and looking to the future and looking to get back his world championship, as he calls it. This brings out Alex Shelley, uh, the current world champion, looking like he's in a 1975 tribute band. Um, quite a heelish promo from Alex Shelley, although he did have a couple of good lines that did ring true. He says, wrap your head, head around it, this isn't your any, yours anymore, and if there's anyone that should be the face of the company on episode 1000, it's me, not you. He tells Josh Alexander, you're welcome that I built this company for you to have a place to work, a place to send your kid to a uh, private school, and a retirement fund for you and your family. Um Josh says he's no. he was the biggest fan of Alex Shelley winning the title. He was on, at home on his couch, loving what he was seeing. Alex Shelley says, are you a big fan or are you just an Alex Shelley mark? Josh Alexander responds, yeah, I am. But while we're saying you're welcome, you're welcome for having a place to come back to while I, can, uh, while I took the ball and run with it, which I thought was a good line as well. Uh, another good line from Josh Alexander, he says... Yeah, you've beaten this guy, that guy, and the next guy, talking about his world title reign. He went, but tell me, what's the one world title match you've never won? And it, obviously referencing the fact that Josh Alexander beat Shelley. Uh, Alex Shelley says, this is my story. I'm the main character. You're just a side quest. This leads to the Rascals getting involved. 
They beat down Shelley and Alexander. Shelley and Alexander then go face-to-face before the Rascals take down Alexander. Alex Shelley leaves them uh, to get beat down and walks away. Scott, what were your thoughts on this segment as a whole? Um, I thought a bit weird, um, the narrative around Josh Alexander, and I thought it a bit weird that all of a sudden Alex Shelley's just a heel because he's not happy that someone says they want their world title back. Alex Shelley, I thought when he was a suit, when he came out, like, this is that guy who's watched Reservoir Dogs about a thousand times since college and still <laughs> wants up telling you why it's the greatest movie of all time. And I think he's fucking cool by wearing the suit. But I, I liked it. Uh, I knew, obviously, that this was probably going to be the match for for Slam under Slam uh, for Burn for Glory. Maybe with Macklin slid in there for a triple threat, or they might just want to keep it. Or just the, them two for now and have Macklin fight the winner. I really enjoyed Like You knew this was going to come in, though, to get build tension with them not quite getting along as tag partners. The thing about Josh leaving during the during the match of uh, emergence to take out Macklin and he apologised for letting the team down and obviously Shelley didn't want to hear it at the time. But I'm not usually a fan of that kind of like, oh, the two guys are definitely going to be opponents at some point suddenly not getting along. Who could have seen this coming? But this one was where I finally started getting interested. Like, yes, see, this is the kind of build we need towards the match. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like, like, they're both raising valid points. Like, oh, you, you say you're the... Cause Alex, uh, because Alexander does see he's like the, the standard of Impact Wrestling. He's the guy helping carry it. But Alex Shelley's like, yeah, well, who helped build the company for all those years before you even got here, before you were old enough to become a wrestler and everything. And then, uh, but then Alexander points to that he was running Impact for at least a year or so as tie team champion before Shelley made his comeback. And then Shelley went away again. And also during that time, but he, Alexander was stepping up as X Division champion and then world champion. So both men thinking in their own ways, and they have over the years both had to step up to be the guy to carry the company when other people couldn't. So mm. so both the idea that they both seem justified in their own ways, but Shelley is leaning towards the the heel side of things, like mm. the way he refused to help Alexander when he was getting beaten down two on one. And that's the that's the kind of aspect I'm looking forward to maybe building on further. Don't have him turn out and out heel if you're gonna have officially make Alex Shelley a bad guy, I think have it happen at Bound for Glory. Where he gets so desperate and in his own head the idea like maybe he can't beat Alexander so he has mm. to resort to cheating to do it because then mm. that can further because we talked about before when he won the world title say when originally got the X Division belt what that was going to lead to in terms of tension for the machine guns I think this change of Alex Shelley's attitude could help further that potential split Yeah and obviously it's came out this week uh, Omega is it Omega Ishii and Tanahashi uh, sorry o- Okada Okada, uh, Tanahashi, and Ishii. Yeah, are the never weight six-person tag champs in New Japan. They're going to be taking on Josh Alexander and the Motor City Machine Guns. Uh, New Japan and Impact do have a good relationship. Maybe this is going to lead to more dissension in the ranks, uh, but I wouldn't be mad if it was just a, a one-off six-man and a really good match at that. Um, uh, can I just, uh, on that, yes, that's going to go down October 9th, Destruction and Ryugoku, the big final show of their 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 current tour that's going to be like stacked with title matches. It's also going to feature Mike Bailey, Leo Rush, a uh, triple threat against junior heavyweight champion Hiromu Takahashi as well, so some impact representation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you should point out that, you know, clips have been shared on our Twitter feed before. On previous press passes, I've got to chat to both Alex Shelley and Josh Alexander. 
they both talked about how much they'd want to wrestle in Japan, especially as part of this relationship with Impact Wrestling. So both of them getting their wish here. But uh, also, Okada has a relationship with uh, Impact Wrestling, not a fair bro one back when he was TNA, when he was given that Green Hornet gimmick by, by Vince Rousseau. Mm-hmm. And so this is some clips with subtitles uh, from a backstage comment from Okada recently after a match, after the match was announced. Actually, I don't know, where is it? Impact Wrestling, give me a break. There's not a promotion and I hate war in this world. <coughs> I, was, I was a pretty big Machine Gun fan back in the day. Actually, I don't give a damn about Impact. I really hated TNA. <laughs> I like that, that's good. Um, I wonder if they'll mention, they have mentioned the fact about how Alexander can't, sorry, Shirley can't beat Alexander. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll mention the fact that, yeah, the North were the longest reigning uh, tag team champions in TNA, but who beat them for the titles? It was the Machine Guns on their second match back. So I wonder if they'll bring that up. Um, I mentioned the narrative around Josh Alexander. It's kind of like Hogan in the 80s. If anybody done anything to Hogan, he was the victim. You know, Hogan could hit someone in a match with a chair and Bobby the Brain would be like, what have you got to say about that gorilla? And he goes, he's the best world champion ever. He's trying to defend his title in America. (laughs) You know, it it was just so stupid. At times, and it's kind of Alexander. Sorry, Alex Shelley refusing to stand with Josh Alexander. Why would he? Two people are beating him up. Leave. Uh, and what I'm really liking this. Also, we've got some time to go before we get to Benfrogoy. Is that I really don't know who they're going to have win. And it, part of me, I imagine towards actually want to see Shelley as the world champion mm-hmm. when we go see them in in Glasgow. You know, as part of the UK tour, because he was the one doing the press pass, doing the media, promoting uh, Impact coming to the UK, talking about wanting to come and represent him as world champion. And starting off the heel tour, having him come out as a heel champion in Glasgow, I think would be pretty cool. And plus, even if, but that's the good thing about this feud so far and the tease towards Ben Vergoy, that you don't know who could possibly win between the two. Mm. And even if Shelley does lose, they've packed enough defences in his reign so far. He has noble people like Tanahashi. You know, Nick Aldis and people like that, they make it not seem like a transitional ring, which he seems paranoid about. Like, oh, you just think I'm transitional. You just think I'm just holding on to this belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, backstage, uh, Shark Boy uh, makes Trey versus Josh Alexander for next week. Uh, Pete Wentz, uh, not Pete Wentz, Zachary Wentz. Pete Wentz sounds like your new stepdad who works as an accountant. Zachary Wentz says to Shark Boy, Sharks are stupid, to which Shark Boy says, We are not stupid. Um, Kenny King's backstage outraged that he's lost the digital media title. Uh, so Santino makes it Kenny King versus Eric Young for next week. We also have a preview of everything else coming up next week. The Feast of Fired results will be in. A Ultimate X number one contenders match with Wentz, Austin, uh, was it Austin Aries, uh, Ace Austin, Rich Swan, Speedball Mike Bailey, Alan Angels, and Samurai Del Sol. And of course, the 10, knock- uh, 10 women's knockouts tag match. Um, the Kazarians beat the Edwards in the My oh, Dad my Loves Me More Than You. Sorry, My Deed Dad Loves Me More Than You. Where's Christian when you need him? Um, Standard run-of-the-mill mixed tag match. The Kazarians come out, get the feel-good win. Uh, after the match, Kazarian comes on the mic and says, we've got something else to show you tonight, and it was an inductee video for Tracy Brooks, who's going in alongside Don West and Mike Tenay into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, I've seen a mixed response for this online. Um, 
I kind of think it's like a sunny induction. She kind of she came in. She was part of the original class. When the knockouts became a thing, she was there. She was more a manager than a wrestler. But she's she's still been in and out of the company over the years. And I think Impact's got that sort of family feel. And with Kazarian still working there, Tracy Brooks is always welcomed. And I think it's sort of a thank you for being there in the early days and helping play the foundation. And thank you for everything you've done uh, backstage in the company. So... I don't think she'd be a headliner, but certainly if, you know, Mike Tenay and Don West are going to be the headliners, I don't mind Tracy Brooks going in as part of the class. I think, yeah, I deserve a 20-year on and off run with Impact. I think she deserves it. Yeah, I mean, usually only do one inductee a year, but I think they've got enough of a history and have people who are you know, synonymous. They've done a lot for the company. They can afford going forward and maybe do a couple of inductees a year, really build up the class and everything in honour of those that really help the company. I, I can understand that maybe from a in terms of accomplishment wise and everything else, there's some other people who to maybe going before her who have maybe done a little bit more, but like you said, she's been around, you know, the longevity. It's kind of a thank you for being a friend to cool, uh, the Golden Girls. But <laughs> she's been around, like you said, as a manager, even for like the early mid two thousand, like she was managing Robert Roode during his that period of time between Team Canada and, and Beer Money. So yeah. I don't, I don't hold anything against her having this induction. The match itself, I've immediately erased from my mind as I'm trying to forget everything about this feud. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Um, as I said, where's Christian where you need him? You know, they're fighting over the love of a man who died 15 years ago. And, I mean, look, I think if this was done 15 years ago, you'd still have fans who remembered Killer Kowalski. But, you know, we're in 2023... I'm sure your wrestling purists know who he is, but I don't think the casual fan cares enough for someone whose heyday was in the 60s and 70s. So, yeah. Um, well done to Tracy Brooks. Let's please end the Kazarians versus the Edwards feud there. So, we talk uh, about digital media championship opportunities. The current digital media champion, Tommy Dreamer, was pictured backstage. He said that he works over 200 shows per year and wants to represent Impact everywhere and anywhere he goes. He says he'll defend the title against anyone on any show and he challenges anyone to step up to him. He then says, and looks at his belly and looks at the title and says, now I'm going to go talk to Santino about a belt extender. Excuse me. Um, the main event, Chris Sabin versus Leo Rush for the X Division Championship. I think it's, you know, I know we're doing night one and night two sort of things. But on the actual Impact 1000 show, what set Impact apart from the other competitors? It was the X Division. You know, the the knockouts opened the show, the X Divisions closed the show. That, I thought, was quite good because TNA's always been lauded for giving its women a chance and giving smaller wrestlers a chance. And, yeah, I thought it was quite a good, uh, good way to sandwich the 1000 show Knockouts at the start, X Division's in the main event, and Chris Sabin, who was on the very first show uh, mm-hmm. as part of the X Division, you know, a three-time tag team champion, a nine-time X Division champion heading into this, a former Impact World Champion in his own right. So it felt special, but Leo Rush has been on this great run in Impact recently, you know, after his 12 retirements in New Japan, so I thought this was quite a good mix of the past and the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I don't know uh, how long Lou Rush's deal was with Impact, so you know, the way that this reign kind of ended, 
but he kind of he's playing why he didn't defend the belt is basically played off as his you know he's this heel I really like that they got to do a more extended match they did tease it going the exact same way as the match from Sam Aversary but then and they used that as a way to explain why this much smaller Leo Rush was in control for so much of it I like mm-hmm. that it got a decent amount of time they did say yeah, like you said that I think it was even the main event of the very first episode of Impact it was it was Saban versus Petey Williams for the X Division title. So there's Saban all these years later, very much defi- making him the sell like the defining ver- person with the X Division title. Kind of like, like a Chris Jericho with the WWE Intercontinental with the sheer amount of reigns mm-hmm. that he's had. I like that they both got near falls, like you know, Leo Rush kicking out of the, the Cradle Shock. Uh, Leo Rush doing a Van Damme S splash that hurts himself, which means he can't get the win. And then same as the channel, both Shelley and Kushida to get the win in the end. And mm-hmm. I think I said earlier about uh, Lura's going back to Japan to have that junior tag, junior heavyweight title three with, with Hiromu and Mike Bailey. There's also the Super Junior Tag League coming out after that, and then month they'll take it the next month after that. And Lura is the one half of the defending tournament champions, so maybe in the case of he might be going back over there. So it's a case of, I'll drop this back to, to Saban and pick this up when he comes back from Japan. Yeah, Saban winning to become a 10-time X-Division champion. Uh, Tom uh, Tom Phillips, I call him. I can't pronounce his second name. <laughs> uh, Tom Anna Phillips. Anna. Yeah, okay, well, anyway, Tom Phillips, as we all know and love him as, on commentary says, Chris Saban securing himself as the greatest X-Division champion of all time. I think, as you said, just the sheer amount of reigns. He was already that, but it was a nice way to end the 1,000 episode of Impact, you know, with uh, with Chris Saban and Impact Original, someone who made his name in the company, uh, once again being top of the X Division. I really enjoyed that. And we talked as well about machine gun um, tensions. Could it be that later on, that the tension is between Shelley and Saban for the X Division title because Shelley knows that if he wins the X Division title, he can do option C and he can cash in for to get his world title back. Is this right. where we're heading? Because I think all roads lead to Alexander eventually becoming world champion again. But if Chris Saban's still X Division champion, I see a, a heel turn where Shelley turns on Saban this time. I mean, from what I can remember, some other people might be able to take me and see if another time it happened. But the only recorded singles match one-on-one between the Machine Guns that I can recall was Genesis 2009, which was for the X Division title. Ironically, it was like a tournament final for the vacant belt, and Shelley got the win. So if it is the only time they've ever fought, and if Shelley won it, then Shelley can use that. It's going to feel if they ever got this feed the idea that you can use that to justify the idea that he was the guy who carried the machine guns tagging. Because always, you always get to have that when a tagging breaks up. I was the star that I was the one doing all the work in that. Yeah, the the Christian and the Matt Hardy <laughs> of it all. Um, but yeah, I think Shelley is was the more popular one the first time around. I think Chris Saban now with Impact fans is the more. It is the more liked one now because uh, he is certainly the the promo guy. You know, Alex Shelley, as good as this promo was, never really cuts promos for the machine guns. It's always Chris Saban. So it was it was a good win. It was a good way to win the uh, end the 1000 episode of Impact. Um, 
Scott, anything else before you jump uh, before I bring uh, David and John in? Uh, anything else you'd like to talk about for this past week in wrestling? Uh, well, I know there's a lot to talk about. I know we've talked for quite a while, so I will. Uh, I won't dig into my saying, but there was one issue that we were talking a lot about in the Central Kitchen, something I felt very strongly about. Uh, and it's the PWI 500. Obviously, that's a big talk about you know, the idea of the shield. All who are the shield are in the top three. And you got quite a few. I mean, you got Josh Alexander, who we've talked about quite a bit so far, uh, being number nine overall on the list. Uh, but I, I did feel quite strongly about Will Osprey not being in the top ten. And I've got here, well, I can see what the, the rate they use to determine people's placement in the top 10 or even in the PWI 500s. Win loss record, technical ability, influence on the sport, success, the highest grade of competition, success in the most diverse competition, and how active a person is. So, primarily, it's like a, a lot of it's based on accomplishments. So, quite a bit's more key than your wrestling observer awards. And considering Will Osprey this past year, within the, the time period where people were eligible for their placement this year, pretty much tied uh, alongside Okada and Masala, I believe it was, and I think Omega's up there as well in terms of five-star rated matches or more. Had these eight matches with Omega, both at the Tokyo Dome and in Forbidden Door. I thought the fact that people like Vikingo, or even to an extent Cody, who spent much of the first part of the eligibility process injured and everything, and then this brought Lesnar feel that never really had an explanation as to why it was happening. Uh are in the top 10, and, and, and Osprey is up weirdly number 17. Another thing that got people annoyed was Tetsuya Naito uh, not being in the 500 at all, which PWI oh, puts down puts down to a, technic, a clerical error on their part. Uh, whoever had access to the PWI's Twitter said, be right back, I'm going to get on a plane to Japan and apologise to Naito personally. <laughs> and I was talking about this with Grammy. I don't know if his, I think his G, recent G1 when it might have been just at the cutoff point for this year, like eligibility for people's placement. But the idea that there's any list out there that ranks top wrestlers of a certain year that, ha- that can have fucking Tyrus on it and not someone like Naito <laughs> is just, you know, it's like it's like CM Punk. The fact that Dwayne's in the main event and I'm not makes me sick. We'll talk about Dwayne possibly main event later on in the show. But yeah, as you said, the clerical error or not, someone who won the G1. A G1 climax and isn't in the PWI 500. I mean, it's like like Wrestle Kingdom and the G1 climax are the big things that even the casual fans like look to from New Japan. So yeah, it is a is a bit of an oversight. I'm going to bring in uh, David and John now to get their thoughts on the PWI 500 list. So John, David. Um, any gripes with the PWI list? Scott's mentioned, obviously, his gripe is Osprey not being high enough, in his opinion. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, well, I mean, I personally, I thought Cody Rhodes was a bit low, but when you pointed out the the timeline for the selection criteria, it was worth noting that Cody only returned back in January, and that's when he had a big influx of victories and good fortune on the road to WrestleMania. But ever since then, he's sort of been a more of a constant factor rather than an outstanding performer on WWE TV. So I can, I suppose, ten is somewhat justified. But I will say this though: I think Gunther has thoroughly earned uh, top five, given how much he's accomplished this year. Yeah, I, I agree with Gunther. I, I agree with Cody as well, though. I think people are right to have a gripe. You know, if 
John, if you're the WrestleMania main eventer, um, despite how much time you spent out injured, you still think they'll be pretty high up the list? Yeah, you'd expect so, wouldn't you? I think it genuinely is just down to that, that time. You, know, you look at everything in a calendar year, and I think that's what they've done there, and, and that's why he's number 10. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just unfortunate. I think next year, if he continues to be completely injury-free and goes on the trajectory that he looks to be going on and, and not spinning wheels like he seems to be at the moment, then, you know, I think he'll be a lot higher. Uh, Gunther definitely should have been in the top three for me. Um, top five, as, as you said, David, was 100% there. Um, like, my gripes with it, I guess. Five with Vic- Vikingo, I don't, not not really for me. Um, I don't, you know, massively get it. I watched him at that ROH show just before WrestleMania, and I just thought every movie he was going to do, he was going to break his neck. And, <laughs> like, what's the point of doing that? If you're going to, you know, do everything to injure yourself, then why? And I just... As as much as I love the Shield, I thought the Shield were great. I just don't massively get John Moxley. I, it's not. I don't compute with it. It doesn't connect, and I I don't understand why he's number three. I really don't. I mean, Seth Rollins rightfully number one. I think he's the macho man to Roman Reigns is Hulk Hogan. So the, the top two cool. Moxley at three. I'd have switched Gunther in there. Well, I think Moxley's sort of been a constant factor for AEW, all things considered, but mm. he hasn't really had a definitive win ever since he won the AEW International Championship. I mean, sure, he was in a lot of high-profile feuds, such as, you know, he was in Stadium Stampede at Wembley, which was pretty cool, but nothing that really screams like this guy as an individual has been top tier for the past year, whereas I think it could be argued that Gunther... You know, despite not winning the Rumble, despite not being in the world title picture, like he's been undefeated bar one count out loss and a few tag team losses. He's unbeaten singles competition and and he's now the longest reigning intercontinental champion, longest time spent in a 30 person Royal Rumble. Like those are two big accolades on their own. That's it. And, you know, Gunther getting those accolades and clearly on that path to becoming the top heel aside from Roman Reigns in that company. Yeah. That's got yeah, to put him up there. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Um, I, I had a conversation with David Campbell in the group chat the other day, um, mentioning that I really, I've never really got Ambrose. I liked him in the shield, as we mm. mentioned, but it just seems like his character is angry man that wrestles. It, it's Poundland Stone Cold. And, and, you know, it bleeds all the time. Yeah. And gets yeah. Um, like, you know, giant skewers stuck in his head that's it and it's it's sort of like you know we've got an angry man that wrestles it's Kevin Owens but he's very entertaining and goes between the two very well whereas Moxley is very much I'm John Moxley that's my character and I don't really get it personally but hey ho um we talked about Cody Rhodes and spinning his wheels and that's probably what it's going to be like till Wrestlemania Speaking of WrestleMania, John, the WrestleMania you were just at was meant to have a mega match that never happened. Don't, I even, talk, don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Rock joined Pat McAbee ahead of the NFL season kickoff. Um, I think that's what it was, or NFL game day. I, I don't watch American sports, okay? I watch actual football where they kick the ball with their foot, okay? Um, so anyway, he was at the hand egg opening ceremony and he spoke to Pat McAbee about how they couldn't agree on the right thing and they wanted it to be great, not good. 
and they decided, you know what, we're going to leave it this year. We're going to, we'll do it down the road. We'll come back and have a conversation later on. Rock talked up, obviously, his relationship with Nick Khan. Uh, and yeah, he, he, Rock v. Roman was a lock at one point, but they decided to go another route. Well, let me say this, right? I genuinely didn't believe it was going to happen this year. I went into, you know, I was going to LA knowing that this was not going to be a thing. I just knew it. My mate who I went with, Alex, he was saying, oh, you know, we're getting rock or what? I was like, nah, mate, not a chance. He won't be there. It's not going to happen. And then when you hear it could have happened, you're like, oh, now I'm annoyed. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's quite frustrating. But that match it is going to be ace and it will happen, I expect. I really do think it's going to happen now, but it, the circumstances are all going to be right. And if it's going to happen at WrestleMania next year in uh, in Philly, Roman's not going to have a title. Because that match does not need the title. That match is all about being the head of the table, being the head of the family, and Rock ain't going to win it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that, that is what it is. I mean, the only reason Rock would win that is if Roman is going to take a hell of a lot of time off. But he doesn't need the title. And then that spins into the Cody thing, because then Cody, you know, he's going to finish the story because Cody's going to take the title off him. I'm still saying that. <laughs> but Cody will not take the title off him at WrestleMania in that case. Yeah, uh, David, I was talking about how I think Cody Rhodes is kind of spinning his wheels. I've said mm. on this podcast before, I think Survivor Series would be the perfect time. Uh, it's in Chicago. You know, WWE haven't really done a lot with the B pay-per-views, all the other big fours. It's always, let's get to WrestleMania, let's get to WrestleMania. And I think WWE needs to re-establish that. And as John says as well, the elephant in the room is the fact that The Rock versus Roman Reigns doesn't need the title. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't. Yeah, and we've seen the memes fly around about Cody, you know, sitting cross-legged at the top of the ramp wearing a Stone Cold shirt saying, the fact that Dwayne's in the main event of WrestleMania next year, I'm not, makes me sick. So it's, it's. I get there's there's seen the humour in it as well. Uh, but I'd also seen a graphic somewhere, because obviously WrestleMania is two nights. It might be a bit of a stretch to have Roman compete both nights. Night one, he faces The Rock in tribal combat without the title on the line. And then he faces the Royal Rumble winner or whoever the number one contender is on night two. Now, Cody obviously doesn't necessarily have to win the Rumble to get a title match with Roman. You know, there's obviously Jey Uso's move to Raw and there's uh, someone to be traded to SmackDown. Most likely it'll probably be Cody, uh, you know, if, if the rumors are to be believed. But you're right about B pay-per-views and that they're just spinning wheels at this point. Right, let's get to WrestleMania. Let's get Cody to finish the story. And we can go with Roman and Rock in some capacity, but we can't compromise Cody Rhodes not finishing the story because then everything that happened in the last year, year and a half or so would have been just pointless. But I get what you're saying about B pay-per-views as well. And we said in the group chat earlier, I think now this is a good time to really elevate some of those titles that didn't get as much exposure, you know, when the main event program was happening. You know, let's let's elevate the Intercontinental title further. Let's elevate the US title further. And, you know, Becky Lynch defended the NXT title on Raw just yesterday at time of recording. So they're, they're giving exposure to other feuds and other championships. So I just hope they can keep that momentum going until, like, Rumble season. So at the minute, they're just building Survivor Series. Then there's the holiday season, and then they can worry about the WrestleMania build from there. 
Yeah, um, obviously we talked about that last night in the group chat about how uh, other titles need exposure because it looks like Roman is going to be off uh, recuperating with a back injury up until November 4th, Crown Jewel, uh, which has been announced by the Saudi government ahead of the Riyadh season. And he is scheduled for Survivor Series, but then he's not scheduled for anything else. However, we don't take that too seriously because The Rock has not been scheduled for WWE shows. And then the same day as that Pat McAvey thing comes out and everyone's talking about The Rock, who pops up in SmackDown but the people's champ himself. I I was going to go to bed and I would have hated myself. I, did that. I was going to go to bed and I noticed that it was five past one. I put SmackDown on. I'm like, oh, Pat McAfee's there. And then when he said, this is the people's show. And I was like, no, no. Oh, God, God. <laughs> and the music hit. And that was me up till 3 a.m. working the next day. So The Rock has a lot of things to answer for because I was absolutely shattered for that shift. But... <laughs> Um, 103 million views on socials that that, that entrance got and the crowd pop deafening he said it was like the top 5 in his career like top 5 yeah. crowd pops he's ever heard amazing absolutely amazing I think as soon as you see McAvey something in the back of your mind went is The Rock here? because I had missed the rumours that he was backstage but you're like is he here? and then it's every so often the, the people show the people and you're like don't 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 tease me, Pat. <laughs> My body can't take it anymore. <laughs> so, but what what a moment! Rock back, rock on SmackDown with John Cena. It was just absolutely sensational. Let's talk about the man he shared the ring with. However, um, let's talk about Austin Theory. Let's talk about how this guy shared the ring with Stone Cold, John Cena, The Rock. And yet still nobody cares about him. <laughs> it, it just seems like for all Mr. McMahon being off TV, the only person really to have suffered for that is Austin Theory. He's He was in a prime spot with the money in the bank. Then they got to the point where it was like, right, well, he can't win the world title and we haven't introduced the other one yet. Oh, what are we going to do? All right, we'll just have him lose to Seth. And then beat him for the same title three weeks later. He is spinning wheels at the minute and he's sharing the ring with legends and yet people still don't care. It's mad because he's the future. He's he's yeah. such a talent. He's so good. And he, he he gets heat. I mean, not like Dom gets heat, but he gets heat. And he's he's definitely one that they are going to have as one of their big stars going forward. And even... With the ones that I guess kind of float in now and and maybe caught them by surprise, like an LA night, you know, he is definitely going to be one of the top guys and he can do both. He can be the babyface, he can be the heel, but like right now he's perfect in that role. But like you said, he's, but for whatever reason, it's not connecting. Maybe that is because, you know, other people are just miles more over than, than he is. He reminds me a lot of 2014 Damien Sandow a little bit. You know, he lost the Money in the Bank contract to Cena. Austin, Austin Theories, in this case, was to Seth Rollins. But ever since then, you know, as Ross said, you know, he was spinning wheels. You know, it's interacts with the legends, gets beat up by the legends, and it doesn't really do him any favours. And, you know, 
and there was a joke about Damien Sandow. He goes on the kickoff panel and he says, oh, I'm just going to air my grievances to to the whole world and then before you know it I'm going to get put in a lost tag team with Yoshi Tatsu and never be heard from again it's I don't think Austin Theory's at that stage yet but he is definitely on that trajectory and he's currently you know he's a bit pally with Grayson Waller at the minute but I don't see them lasting very long I think two egos just too big for each other but I think what I liked about this segment is it did feel a little bit reminiscent of Attitude Era where all the all the guys in the ring are just wearing black vests. You know, there's not a lot of not a lot of diversity there, you know, there's no sharp suits, no uh no cool colourful merch or whatever. You know, it was just down to basics a little bit and Rock's crowd control is nothing short of perfect. Not lost a step, has he, really, when you think about it. Yeah. You are an asshole. So good. So good. <laughs> I, it was great to see him back, and it was great to see the it was great to see the fans still responding to him because it seemed to be for a little while um that people had kind of turned on the rock with the whole Black Adam thing, and there was a lot of maybe people who weren't rock fans happy that there was a failure there and then all of a sudden he's you know all the bad things under the sun and he's this and he's that he's the next thing and then we've seen the news stories in the past few weeks you know he he donated food and kept uh, kept the uh, fridges of the Rotunda family full uh, during the passing of Bray Wyatt uh, we've saw all the make a wish stuff he's been doing and then Obviously, this segment still shows there's an appetite to see The Rock, not only from the fans in attendance, because don't get me wrong, sometimes, you know, you don't want to see someone long term, but if you're there for that show in person and you see The Rock, it's like, oh my God, it's The Rock. But the response on social media, like, and then as David mentioned, 103 million views since then, it just shows there is still an appetite to see The Rock back in the ring. There's an appetite for this match. But it might come at the at the detriment to Cody at WrestleMania because John, I know you mentioned the match doesn't need the title, but if they're talking about making it the biggest match of all time, I still think they might put the title in there, which I don't think they should do, but they shouldn't, because look, if they put the title in there, no one believes that the Rock is coming back full time, so he doesn't win. Yeah. Simple. No one not even the most naive wrestling fan in the world would ever believe that. They know The Rock is starring in movies. They know he ain't coming back on a full-time basis. You put the title on there, he ain't winning it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about someone who did win a title this past Tuesday. Becky Lynch, the new NXT Women's Champion, as we mentioned, uh, or we alluded to earlier on. The one title that eluded Becky Lynch in her career. She's now the Grand Slam man. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on this? Because I've seen mixed reaction online. I enjoyed it, I think. It gives NXT a big star in the women's division and allows you to do non-title feuds to build everyone else up. Whoever beats Becky Lynch is a ready-made star. And, yeah, Tiffany Stratton looks like she's going to be on the main roster sooner rather than later because she did do the dark match. I believe, was it SmackDown or Raw? She'd done one of the dark matches after the show. Mm -hmm. And, pardon me. So I, I, I didn't see anything wrong with it, but there's been people who are maybe, you know, weekly NXT viewers that didn't like the fact that, you know, someone came back to NXT and then within a week, you know, they've just won the title. So where do you guys stand with it? To be honest, I'm all for it. 
like it sort of kills two birds with one man essentially you know becky lynch you know completes her her checklist you know she gets the nxt title under her wing tiffany stratton doesn't look terrible in defeat either because she's uh, faced all challengers and she looks great in the ring in the process she's been a fighting champion and there's no shame in her losing to one of the the most decorated athletes in wwe history if, if anything you know people were complaining like on other podcasts you know tiffany stratton was jobbed out she was made to look bad no it's the complete opposite like i think she was made to look like a star to show that she can handle with the best that the company has to offer and I think she'll she'll do great on the main roster if that's where she's getting called up next. With Becky as well, you know, she can appear on Raw, NXT, whatever, and elevate some of those female talents that, you know, have been somewhat underutilized in some capacity. You know, she could have a rematch with Zoe Starks now that she's no longer affiliated with Trish. Although I did hear somewhere that um, the original plan was to have Becky versus Tegan Knox on Raw, but it got scrapped and Tegan was moved to the main event, so she ended up facing Natalia instead. So, there is opportunity there, but whoever changed that Becky Tegan Knox mat- planned match, you know, they deserve a boot in the bollocks for that one. <laughs> but, but, but Natalia did cut a bit of a fire promo, so, you know, that, was, uh, yep. that, that big, was a good thing. Big ginger idiot, I think she called her. Yeah, that was the one. And, you know, bringing Natalia in, who is, you know, so damn good. You know, to go up against Becky, that's great. I, again, David, I agree with you completely. You know, Tiffany lost absolutely nothing in that. Absolutely nothing. She gained a load. But I think she looked great in that match against Becky. You know, there was nothing put wrong in that. I think she did very, very well. Um, she's She is ready now. And she's said in the past that she wanted to improve. And, you know, she said she knew there were parts of a game that she wasn't 100% at. And... I think she's taken that time and she's improved and she's really walked into that character. And obviously they've kind of like gone with that whole Barbie thing as well with the, the you know, the, the look they've cap, you know, completely captured on the Barbie phenomenon right now. Mm-hmm. If I can say words like phenomenon. Um, <laughs> that moonsault, she, by the way, like it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. Like, that that good, finisher needs it? to be protected at all the costs. PMA. It's great, isn't it? I mean, like, look, if you, if she misses it, then fair, you know, if you get like someone like Becky, you could get, get your knees up. That's fine. Yeah, but, it rivals yeah, EOS Sky's Moonsault, it rivals Charlotte's Moonsault. You know, and it's good to see, you know, the, the, the female performers pulling out moves like that. Yeah, and she's been working on it for ages. I, I didn't know until recently that she's dating uh, Ludwig Kaiser. And, Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's talking about us because someone, someone asked him, and this was a ridiculous question that somebody asked him, and does she need to go to, you know, come with you and go and Imperium? He went, well, why? <laughs> yeah, just uh, why? She's standalone, yeah. Yeah, she's Gabby doing. Bastard. She's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, on all accounts, uh, she's doing very well for herself. She's fine. She's gonna, you know, she's she's had great exposure. She said this match with Becky, fantastic. You know, she's been backstage at a pay per view. She was backstage at the last pay per view with with Bex. She's been in that match. She's been NXT Women's Champion. Give her a, you know, rebuild her again. Re just show off that buff Barbie doll, which she always said that she was. That was her little thing that she ran with. Show all that off. Get her in there. Get her doing that impressive moonsault on, on someone. You know, and that's... She's sold. I mean, as much as I love Tegan Knox, you know, that... Yeah, I think she's great. And uh, I think she's just been kind of done with some bad, bad booking and unfortunate situations. Um, I, I think she's probably one of the worst uh, 
returns Three under goals, the Triple H yeah. banner. Yeah, like even Hit Row is doing better than her. God, you don't see them anymore, do you? You know, it's it's. I thought she was injured again. Actually, I thought she just uh, like got what? a knock. I thought she'd just <laughs> taken a knock somewhere, but then she's <laughs> a um, yeah, a knocks, and then she's on uh, then she's on main event. I'm I'm a big fan of her. I think she's going to do good. I I thought she was kind of sticking around with like Candice and that, but obviously they moved that on when Indy came up. And yeah, it's it, it was strange, but I, I, you know, I ain't, I ain't mad at. Where the hell's Gargano? I want the way back. He's he did it. He did a match, didn't he, recently against um, uh, Omos? Was it a dark on match? a house show? It was a house show, and now he's disappeared again. I know it was. Oh, uh, it was either his birthday or his wife. I can't remember if it was Candice. It was their anniversary, I think. Anniversary. That was it. Um, but yeah, he's disappeared. But then again, you've got all the thing like Johnny. Um, Tommaso Trump is still doing the, you know, find Johnny thing on his socials. So, you know, maybe he's, he's going to come back. Gunther. Yeah, maybe he's going to come back for the end of that. Because, I mean, as much as I love Champa as well, I don't think he's going to dethrone Gunther. But, you know, maybe no. he comes back for the end of that. So let's move on from Becky Lynch to a couple of other people who have left WWE. And that's the Grizzled Young Veterans, uh, recently known as the Dyad. Uh, and Elias, who have apparently all left WWE. Um, Grizzled Young Veterans, for me, an absolute travesty that they weren't used better. Um, you know, 100%. much like I don't hold it against you, John, I won't hold it against them that they're Liverpool supporters, but, you know, <laughs> the gimmick themselves was, the Reds. was absolutely great. And... Yeah, it just seemed that yeah, it was one step forward, two steps back for them on the on the main roster, ever, sorry, on NXT, ever since they came over from NXT UK. And yeah, just a, a, an absolute sensational tag team that have been bungled and wasted. They were really good, you know, and I think NXT UK, they, they showed how good they were. They went to NXT and, and again showed how good they were and they, they got over a different gimmick and uh, always, always big props to uh, uh, to rip Fowler there because when you get R Fowler on, on, on WWE TV, I am all over that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Zach Gibson, James Drake, they're going to do what they do. I, I don't know what they're going to do right now. I mean, there's talk of uh, AEW. I know um, from seeing the socials, um, uh, James's uh, other half is now over there and she's got a job there. Um, I think uh, uh, Zach's partner, uh, his wife's there as well. So I don't. I think family life they're quite set. So I don't think they're going to be itching to sort of run straight back to the UK. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean they, they deserve a lot of credit as well because I think they did a lot of good for Ava Rain. I think they, you know, putting Ava with those two guys. And I, I think I said it on this podcast before actually. Um, putting her with those two, they were she was learning off the best. So you know, props to the boys. But yeah, WWE completely dropped the ball with that. Yeah, Dave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree with John. It's you know, first seeing them in NXT UK, like they could work a crowd like nobody could, especially Zach Gibson in particular. And when they got moved over to NXT Full Sale, I was thrilled because I thought, right, these guys are going to be made to feel like a massive deal because they're probably one of the best tag teams that WWE has brought in, you know, as part of their UK initiative. But why they never won the Dusty Cup? is beyond me like two chances to make big names for themselves like you know they never even won the nxt tag titles and yet they were probably one of the most natural teams you could get you know great heels great in ring work they knew how to connect with an audience 
you know, but you know, they just seem to have lost out to the likes of MSK, the Creed Brothers, and just so many other fresh faces that came in. And yeah, it's probably one of the biggest biggest misbooking opportunities, I think, in terms of, of tag teams. They should have had so much more, you know, when brought over to the US. But I think it was just a slippery slope for them after they after the sort of pandemic era because they had so many opportunities to capitalize on them and they didn't do it. It's WWE's own fault that they didn't, you know, put them in a position where they could have been treated as a solid, solid tag team. And wherever they go next, I hope they get treated like royalty because these guys are some of the best tag team wrestlers I've seen in a long time. Yeah, the two of them against FTR and AEW could be sensational. Um, Soon to be recognised as the hottest free agents in the wrestling industry. <laughs> um, let's talk about someone else that's left as well, as we mentioned, Elias. Um, the man suffered from stop-start booking, didn't he? You know, the the Drifter wasn't a good character in NXT. It really didn't get over. It started getting over on the main roster because they had a slow build to it and he just taunted and annoyed the crowd. He had some decent matches as well. Had some uh, good matches against Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental title. Had some good matches with Cena. Um, was involved in a lot of big moments in WWE. You know, uh, two WrestleManias in a row, having Cena shared the ring together. Um, was part of Shane McMahon's feud with Braun Strowman at WrestleMania, but they never really capitalised on it. I liked the Ezekiel thing. I'm sorry, I know a lot of people didn't, but I thought it was hilarious. And yeah, I <clears throat> when they hadn't capitalised on Elias from 2016, when they revamped him in 2022, I thought, right, cool, because Elias has a shelf life. You know, we're here now. Let's do Ezekiel. And then they did it for three months and then scrapped it. And by then I was just like, right, he's gone. He's He's got to be in the next round of cuts. And it looks like he has been either let go or his contract's expired. But yeah, just such a, a guy that had a shelf life, but they didn't use to his full potential while he had that shelf life, I think we can say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, Elias was one of those guys like I just couldn't get into. I mean, I get his drifter gimmick had some legs in NXT and on the main roster and stuff, but I never really saw him as a guy to sort of stick out as a, as a solid in ring performer. I mean, the most high profile feud I think he had was against Seth Rollins for the intercontinental title. Other than that, you know, he won the 24 seven title a couple of times and that was it. You know, there was nothing more really to him other than, you know, he's the guy that plays the guitar. He roasts some people for a bit. I couldn't really tell if he was a face or a heel. He never really fully committed to one. Apart from that one night in Seattle with Kevin Owens where he made the having a basketball team in Seattle comment. I think that's probably the loudest reaction he ever got. And I mean, sure, he was kind of like Austin Theory and like what Austin Theory is now. You know, he interacts with the legends with his gimmick, guitar playing, etc. He knows how to rile up an audience. But you put him in the ring, you know... He's nothing spectacular. I mean, sure, he looks impressive, but nothing really stood out about him. And I still remember 2018 when he got put in the Elimination Chamber. Like, they could have had a normal six-person chamber without him, and nobody would have, like, really complained. But to be honest, the Ezekiel thing, not a fan of it either. Again, it was like Hulk Hogan, Mr. America. We, we both knew they were the same person, but it's... 
it was just a bit, bit of silliness, bit of fun. And to be honest, I'm not going to miss him. That's just my view on it. Decent hand. They didn't know what to do with him. There you go. Yep. Fair enough. That sums him up. An unspectacular review for an unspectacular <laughs> performer there. Um, let's talk about from someone leaving WWE to someone leaving AEW. Jade Cargill, and she looks like she is going to be on her way to WWE. Uh, Fightful Select reporting that interest has been there since last July, saying that WWE has long had interest, but some within WWE had heard of interest back in July, and several associated with her teasing that big moves would be coming, though they didn't outright say what those moves would be. Uh, there were several people close to her that were being coy about her future plans, not outright mentioning WWE, However, higher-ups in AEW were well aware of her plans to jump to WWE. Um, John, thoughts on Jade Gar- Cargill coming in? And where does she go? Does she go to NXT or does she go straight to the main roster? I've said for a while, Jade is absolute money. You know, you look at her and you you want to watch her because she is she's just this athlete, chiseled like a stone. You know, she looks the part. She really does. And she... You know, she's grown in the ring. I think she's got a hell of a lot better. Yeah, I think, yeah, the whole stuff she was doing at the start when she was, you know, bringing the green gear out because everyone was saying she was green and then she was like, no, I'm green like money, you know. And, and she is, she is money. She is a draw. This is, this is good. I think it's a very, very good signing for WWE. Um, if she is ready-made for the uh, main roster, you could put her on there right now. I think you could disrupt a few things that are going on at the moment. I, I don't, I wouldn't want to kind of rush her in there and, and, you know, do anything silly and knock anything else off course. I mean, maybe she could be the one that comes in on the main roster and takes the NXT title off Bex. I don't know. I mean, that'd be an interesting way to introduce her. Um, yeah. I'm I with you on that. Yeah. That'd be right. That'd be cool to see. I mean, obviously, you know, down the line, you can see WrestleMania match here with, Bianca Belair because just that that is a big striking image two wonderful athletes that just have that attitude you know they're both so confident about what they do and what they say and they they're, they're kind of similar in that way yeah but mm-hmm. also not if you know what I mean so I'd love to see that if I've just seen um, some quotes from Tony Khan actually about this um, he was asked about the rumors of her leaving. He said, oh, she had a great match on Rampage on Friday with Chris Statlander. Chris retained the title. I thought it was brilliant. Definitely one of the best matches uh, of either of their careers. I can't really comment on this situation except to say that Jade has been a great wrestler for AEW and certainly always welcome in AEW. So, I mean, that, that does say to me that she's out the door, but, you know. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been yeah. done professionally, yeah. <laughs> like, nobody's, you know being petty or asking for a pay rise and not getting it. You know, I yeah. think she just acknowledged that, you know, maybe it's time for her to move on and just take a, a fresh step in her career. But it's good that they're, that she's parting with AEW on good terms. You know, like the match with Chris Statlander, obviously totally. very, very good sign of respect there. And she seems well liked backstage as well. But one thing you said, John, and I'm very, very much into this idea, have her be the ones to take the NXT title from Becky Lynch, you know, I mean, if you just look at her, she's a specimen. Like, she's chiseled out of stone. She's an athlete. You can see that. And she uh-huh. looks legit. Yeah. yeah. But I think NXT would be better for her at this stage because I think she still needs to adjust to the WWE 
structure a little bit. You know, I mean, she can go in the ring, no doubt about it. But give her a few tweaks to her character. Let her dominate in the ring. Let her build her character over time in front of a smaller audience. Let her find her footing in what is effectively a larger company and a, and a more popular company. You know, a company that's selling arenas of tens to the thousands of people, like, out wherever they go around the world. And she will find her rhythm eventually. But make her seem like a big deal. Put the NXT championship on her and let her fine-tune her, her character, give her a manager to help her out, but put her on a pedestal, strike while the iron's hot, and just go for it. Now, this is where I would do things slightly differently. I'd put her in, not NXT, I'd just put her in the Performance Center. Let her do all that behind the scenes. Let her work on all that kind of stuff. Like a behind-closed-doors match. You know, you, you've got like, football teams do that all the time, behind closed doors games. Uh, that's only after a pitch invasion, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, they do all these games. Well, like, they have like practice games. I know that like, early on in the season, like you'll get, I mean, like, you know, yeah. from a Premier League point of view, you'll get like Liverpool play Aston Villa behind closed doors and they just want a training game because they're continuing to get up to speed like after pre-season. Supposedly they, think, they did do it during the pandemic as well. Yeah, absolutely. They did that during pandemic. So do some behind closed doors stuff. Tweak it all there. I'd maybe even have Cody Rhodes introduce her because he knows her. That's that, that's the whole history. thing. They've got the history. Bring her in. Um, and, you know, I I instantly, if you're going to get her to take that title off Bex, and, I, yeah, I've got a long theory about, you know, Bex and Seth, I think they're going to take some time out soon. And you bring her in and you you. Make her instantly. She is the star. This is it. She is coming in. She is the shock. This is not a 23-second job like Bex did with Bianca at SummerSlam. This is Jay Cargill walking down there looking like a million dollars on Monday Night Raw, and she's going to go, that is mine. And Bex is like, I, I don't know who you are. And then next minute, great match. Bang, she takes the title, walks out, mm. she's done. Or- See, the thing is, I would have... I wouldn't. Dave was mentioning tweaks to the character. I wouldn't change anything about it because we're talking about striking while the iron's hot. I think you can still introduce her in NXT, and you can introduce her without putting her in the ring. You can do the thing that um, Ty Valkyrie when she was Frankie Monet. In oh, remember NXT. that? <laughs> oh Christ! She, yeah, um, <laughs> she did a lot of things, a lot of scouting things, and she was on TV yeah. and she was still there and she was doing backstage promos and doing commentary. You know, she's got the talking down and all that, but there was a thing Kevin Nash mentioned on his Click This podcast when they were talking about Jade Cargill. He was saying, you know, they were asking why hasn't the improvement been as much as people want? And what he said was, there's definitely been improvement, but it's because AEW don't do house shows. So when you mm. bring someone in... Mm-hmm like uh, Kenny Omega, who wrestles a 100-mile-an-hour style, that's great, because he's not going to be beaten up as much as he usually would. But when you have someone like Jade Cargill new to the business, that's when it affects them, because they're not getting the house show reps in. I think you introduce her, you do the stuff at the Performance Centre, you put her on a couple of loops with the house shows, have her on TV for about a month while doing stuff backstage, and then you make her sort of a special attraction. She wrestles once a month. Like she was doing in AEW, she wasn't wrestling every month, every week. She was wrestling big money matches because, as you said and mentioned earlier, I'm green because I'm money. 
Mm. Have her do big money matches, and she still does the house shows and all that stuff, and that's her getting the reps in. And then you see her start to come on leaps and bounds. And then, hey, give her an NXT title run from, you know, say she comes in next month. From next month to a year, a year, not this year's WrestleMania, but WrestleMania after. And then she's ready for the main roster. But she's still been a star on NXT. She's been a star on AEW. And then there's the hunger to see her in WWE. And that's how you make someone who maybe doesn't have the best in-ring credentials improve and get that longevity. Accentuate mm. the positive side and negatives. Thank you, Paul Lehman. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly how it should be done, yeah. Either way, I'm excited to see her. Yeah, I think I think yeah, she's, for sure. she's money. She's, she's a draw... She's going to make a lot of money there and not just for her, but for the company as well. So she's, you know, she's going to have a, a great time in, uh, like, in WWE. I hope, I hope like Bianca Belair as well, you know, she becomes, you know, it doesn't matter if she's a face or a heel. She could be a positive role model for a lot of young women, you know, like if you put the work in and you work hard, you can look like, like a, like a titan of the universe. And like yeah, she's, like, a, she's a young mother as well, you know. She's, yeah, that's she's right. She's got kids, you know, or, or at least one child. You know, so she's, you know, I, I, I know she's brought um, one of her kids, I think she's got one child, to, um, to to the events. So, like, that's, you know, amazing. She's got a sports star partner as well. Mm-hmm. Packages like, there. Super like mom, essentially. Yeah, she is. She's a super mom. She's an absolute role model. So, yeah, but everything. Do all that. Someone else rumoured for WWE from AEW, not quite as clear cut yet, but it has been spoke about. He has friends with Cody Rhodes, is absolute Ricky Starks. Um, Ricky Starks has had a bit of a weird year. He mentioned it on Collision last week uh, ahead of his match with Brian Danielson that he was sick of starting over because he got to the point where he was fighting MJF, then he was at the bottom of the card, then he was fighting Chris Jericho, then he was nowhere to be seen. Then he wins the own heart cup and then he gets nothing from it. And then CM Punk leaves and that's him, you know, that's him out in the wilderness. So it's it's a weird one with Ricky Starks, but I think he's someone raw SmackDown or NXT. I think there is a place for him, especially in the mid-card title scene. He is that sort of charismatic guy who can carry a division. The way Gunther has carried the Intercontinental title division, I would like someone like Ricky Starks coming in and doing that with the United States title. Mm. I'm not as confident with Ricky Starks, if I'm being honest, because, I mean, sure, he's he's accomplished a lot in AEW. You know, he's, he's brushed shoulders with some big names, but I worry that he's going to become just another guy on what is already a stacked roster for WWE, especially on SmackDown, you know, I think SmackDown would probably be better for him if he goes if he mingles with the likes of Austin Theory, Grayson Waller, the LWO. I mean, I think there's more of a chance for him there, especially because since SmackDown's usually treated as the land of the land of opportunity, I think he would get lost in the shuffle on Raw, though. But I think there is potential there, you know, sort of like a diamond in the rough a little bit. But again, I think he was sort of like Jade Cargill in her early days, you know, a little bit green, a little. Needed a little bit of polishing, but I think under the WWE banner, there is potential. But personally, I would hold my breath over it. Been a fan of him since Simon NWA. I think he's, he's got it. There's, there's a lot of people that don't have that package. He's got it. He can go in the ring. He's so charismatic. 
He can get over as a heel or a face. You can do what you want with him. He's safe, safe worker. You know, he's, he's not going to do anything too silly. Um, but like I said, he, AEW's had that weird year. And he's been sort of, you know, start, restart, you know. And mm. it, a lot of that's not his fault. I think he's yeah. just been a victim of victim of circumstance. Mm. A lot of that's not his fault completely. Look at the whole thing. He was going to be in that match with Punk, wasn't he? And then, yeah, true. You know, Punk goes, does Punk would you things. See, would you say he has similar traits to The Miz? Or is he completely different? No, he's completely different. Yeah, very he, different. Right. He's a good talker. He's more athletic in the ring. He's more... More a flamboyant character than the Miz, and he can he can certainly play a face better than Miz. Um, yeah, Miz, Miz is can't. Miz is <laughs> yeah, but Miz can't do it. We've seen his doomed face run. Um, <laughs> someone who we don't quite know where he's going yet is Edge. Um, Edge, after his match against Sheamus, took to Twitter to say that there's a WWE contract in his inbox and he's in no rush to sign it, saying that. He's enjoying his life just now. He's enjoying that he maybe be able to go out on his own terms this time, but he'll see where he's going. Um, Dave Meltzer recently reported that uh, WWE and Edge are far apart on money at this point. He said, it's the same thing with Edge and McIntyre. Not that those deals are dead in WWE, but they're not close on money. And that's where it stands. It's not like someone, you know, whatever these people ask for. It's not like it's a rubber stamp, even though WWE is loaded with money. Tony's running a business, WWE's running a business. They have a salary scale. WWE can afford anything and anyone, but they're not. They have a, a, a mental salary scale of what people in certain positions get. And some of the guys want more or think they deserve some more uh, commiserated to people in the company um, who are on a higher level than them. Uh, so that's kind of the situation, and it goes on both sides. So it looks like he's maybe asking for a bit too much money from both sides there. Mm. It's a bit of a tricky one. Obviously, there's rumours floating around. He's mentioned that he has the contract in his inbox. I think if he wanted to go back, I think he would do it. But he know he also knows his value. He knows his worth. So I think he's within reason to state a figure as it were. But that also being said, you know, he's reached 25 years with WWE. I would not complain if he decided to just call it quits altogether and just spend, you know, spend the rest of his life as a family man. But I suppose Sexton Hardcastle is all elite, <laughs> does have a bit of a ring to it. Or as Chris Anthony Lopez said, corner is all elite. But Makes me wonder in what capacity he would be used. He probably would compete. Would we see a reunion with Christian Cage? I mean, there are options, but I, I'm not a mind reader. It's all up to him now. Uh, but whatever he decides to do, I'm all for it. Edge and Christian VFTR, yes, that's <laughs> a very appealing. It looks, it looks great. Although um, I'm not sure Edge would appreciate joining the D-Dad Club as well, given that. That's uh, it. You know, yeah. they've obviously lost, like he and Beth have lost both their parents there's, as well. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, turn for Christian there, isn't there? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a way back for that young man to uh, to, uh, to get himself back in the good books there. But yeah, I mean, those two versus FTR, like, um, uh, would Edge at AEW do them a lot of good? Yeah, um, I think he he would be the big star that I think would help them rescue some ratings and sell some tickets. But then again, like, you know, they'll 
and, and well, I guess because they they don't do house shows and stuff, they could break him out when they want to. I just don't think it's the right environment for him. And again, I want Edge, you know, to have a good life going forward. He, I think he knows what he's going to get. If he goes back to WWE, sure, he'll get, a, you know, he'll want a big amount of money. I don't think he's be on, going to be on weekly TV winning titles. Mm. So, you know, I think that's where some talent now, where, where they, because obviously they've been at that point and they've won big titles and they want to be in the main event scene all the time. They've kind of got to be a touch realistic and realize their place in the, in, in the scheme of things and realize that things are cyclical and it's not your turn now. You're in this position where you are still quite heavily featured, but you're not going to have a title. You're not going to be doing this every week. You're not going to be in the title picture. I think with Edge, what else does he have left? He put over Waller, which was great. You know, he's put over other people. Yeah, he's had some great matches recently. He had that brilliant one with Sheamus. Mm -hmm. He's put over Judgment Day to an extent as well. What else does he do? He hasn't got anything left to do. So, you know, there's there's no point kind of bringing him back for nothing to do. You don't want to sign a guy to a contract and pay him a ton of money. And then sit on him. I think WWE, so from Edge's point of view, this will be the last contract of his career that isn't a Legends deal. Yeah, totally. This mm-hmm. will be his last chance to earn some big money. Um, I think on WWE's side, they'd maybe want some assurances that Edge could still go at that level. And with AEW, I think it is a case of they've already got a lot of people on the contract. There's a lot of arguing back and forward about the talent they've got not being used. There's already a bit of a a divide in the locker room. Do they want to spend the money and lower morale possibly further and uh, disenfranchise some other people on the roster to bring in Edge, who maybe does one match and then gets injured, you know? So I can see both sides from it, but as David mentioned, you know, Edge has got a scale that he wants to be paid at and he, he shouldn't, you know, change it if he doesn't think it, you know, it's not worth his while. Let's talk about um, some upcoming WWE events that have recently been announced. Obviously, we mentioned Crown Jewel, uh, penciled in for November 4th. John Cena being advertised for this, as is AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship. Uh, the Royal Rumble is coming to Tampa Bay on January 27th, 2024. And WWE are looking to head to Australia ahead of the AFL season this, I believe it's next month, actually. Um, uh, I think they said early January. Early January, right. Yeah. So two stadium shows in January, possibly. Yeah, start of the month to go to Australia and then the end of the month is Tampa Bay for the Rumble. Jesus. So three big shows there, three big stadium shows. Well... Sunday. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. Um, so, yeah, it looks like three big stadium shows, more money for WWE, more more money in their pocket. What legend do you think is going to get dragged out for Saudi this time? <laughs> um, oh, difficult to say, actually. You know, I think they'll bring... Well, the Dudley boys have signed a Legends contract. They might bring them in. Although they're doing Impact now, aren't they, as well? So, like, what's going on there? I don't know. Maybe they bring in mm. Dudleys. Um... I think with the Legends deal, because I do think Rhino has one as well. He does, yeah. I think it's pretty much like, yeah, go do Impact, go do New Japan, just don't show up on uh, AEW. 
Uh, and this Australia show as well, it's not going to be in like New South Wales, you know, or Sydney or Adelaide or whatever. It's actually going to be in Perth on the other side of yeah. the country. So, and this stadium, I think it's like a cricket stadium. It holds up 60, to... 60,000 apparently, 60,000 oh, plus. I heard 70,000, but... It's the, it's the Optus Stadium, that's the one. Optus Stadium, right. Oh, man. So, so more and more stadium shows for WWE... Um, can, can we just can we just address the the, the 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 giant elephant in the room there about what needs to be the main event? And of course, mm. it has to involve Rhea Ripley, right? Because the pop is going to be stupid. Yeah, yeah. Rhea and the Ripley Grayson Waller show is going to be massive. The Grayson Waller <laughs> effect opens the show. Rhea Ripley retains the women's title in the main event. I mean, the shit writes itself. I, Indy Hartwell as well. Mm-hmm. We've got to throw her in there. You Bronson know, Reed. Yeah, Bronson Reed. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be huge. I mean. I love the fact that they've added the shoeies to uh, Grayson Waller's uh, intro as well. <laughs> Which is, but they're just the, the shoes pouring liquid out. It's, I'm there. <laughs> so, three big shows to look forward to. A show that we've just been to, guys uh, AEW All In at Wembley Stadium. Uh, the debated attendance. Um, we saw that Will Osprey recently got the 81,000 uh, tattooed on his arm. It's now been revealed that in the arena was 72,265. They did sell 81,000 tickets, however, on the day through the turnstiles and in the private boxes, there was 72,265. Um, I mm. really don't care that, you know, it was... They inflated the attendance. WWE does it. I do care that the the vitriol that people are getting online for pointing this out. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? But WWE does it all the time. Yeah, no, and I don't care about that either. I'm just pointing out that it's a bit of a, a pu- uh, hypocrisy. Ah, uh, your big indie company isn't so like they're not angels either. No, exactly. Like, <laughs> but hey ho. It's, it's well known to be fair that the 72k mark feels right from my vantage point in this in in Wembley when I looked out. I was like, there ain't there's no way there's 82,000 people in it, not a chance. Yeah. Mm. Then and, again, uh, the hard the hard cam side was practically all covered off, off, and we were facing yeah. towards the hard cam side as well. We could tell, you know, you could fit another 10,000 people in there. Well, we were directly opposite the ramp. So like we could and, and we oh, so could you were see them coming down the ramp yeah, as if yeah, they were yeah. off towards the ring, yeah. Yeah, so we were directly opposite that and obviously we saw to our left that's where the the, the, the hard cam sideboard was mostly mm. taped off. But as we looked around, there were so many seats that we could yeah. see from where we were. So many. Yeah, you and could I'll tell t- there was a there's definitely a few empty seats scattered all across, you know, the like the, the nosebleed area, as it were. And I can't remember whether I told you this, but sorry, Ross, go on. Sorry, I'm just saying the four in front of us, David, uh, were were empty. Um, yeah, they were actually. Yeah, we we could have moved the whole row forward and be right uh, on the the balcony. The <laughs> we would have. They would have looked like ants instead of looking like smaller ants. <laughs> I can't again, you know, if you're the, when you sat that far forward, close to a balcony, there was people dropping empty plastic cups down, and oh. there was some residue left over. We got soaked by some uh, empty beer cans at one oh point. Oh my god! No, um, no. Dude. I, th- I can't remember if I told you that um, on the day, me and my friends, which this is a combination of physically seeing people and also messages on various social media apps, we were offered at least 10 tickets between us. Maybe it was 81,000 tickets sold, most of them yeah. maybe from ticket touts. 
Uh, probably more. Well, the, we walked into our hotel, right? And this guy went, oh, you guys don't for the wrestling? Yeah, and he went, do you need tickets? Because I've got like three spare. Did he get and you a like, ticket? And he basically just went, my mates can't come. So I've got the tickets. I got a message the night before saying, um, "You might, I might have an upgrade to your ticket. Whereabouts are you sitting? I can't go because I can't get childcare. And it <laughs> turns out he was in the same, he was in the same block. And I was like, oh, mate, sorry, but we're in the same seats. He was like, oh, don't worry about it. Tickets going to waste. Can't go. So there was a lot of people who bought tickets. And, and you, you know, you're knocking out the cheap tickets. And what, 30 quid was it? Yeah. You're putting those out. Mm. People are buying them. And if they miss it, they miss it. I know, like, we, you know, we're all, you know, cost of living crisis, et cetera, at the moment. But, you know, 30 quid and going into London, you know, it's it's a bit expensive for a lot of people. They probably thought, I'll just take the loss. If I can sell the ticket, I'll sell the ticket. But if not, I just mm-hmm. won't turn up. Yeah, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, £30 for a ticket at Wembley is actually pretty cheap because yeah. where we were sat, you know, me, Ross, Scott and Tom, those were at least 100 Maybe Yeah, about we paid like 70, 80 quid, something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. In fairness, we had smashing seats. I was very happy with our seats. Um, mm-hmm. I was the so, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I was the one that booked those, by the way. So, and you did say you did say thank you when we when we sat I did down. Say so. thank you. We were the only we were the only people on our row who got up to go at the bar. Everybody else didn't move. It was just us going. Excuse me, excuse me. Every, every, I'm pretty every sure match. I was, I'm pretty sure I was the only one who was standing up. Uh, you know, for Judas, for cult personality, and obviously for Adam Cole, baby. But um, and the other come on. The other three next to me were just like just sitting there, like with a thumbs up their arses half the time. Oh, well, well, well. No, no, no. I stood up for Cult of Personality. I stood up for Judith. I was knackered by the end. <laughs> and, and I'm amazed you weren't standing when they acclaimed and Billy made their entrance. I, I really didn't care at that point. I was going to be honest with you. I, was, I wanted my bed. <laughs> I think I was about seven pints deep at that point and trying to wrap along. I didn't even drink at all when I was in the stadium. I wanted to be sober the whole time. You didn't move. I thought at the end of Adam Cole's match, John, I was going to have to be. You know how prime out the seat, maybe. <laughs> yeah, know how eventually, like when teams get knocked out of the World Cup. Yeah. You know, but for Scotland, it's week one. For England, it's late <laughs> in the week two. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not the round of sixteen, something like that. Yeah, it's usually on penalties, and you know. <laughs> this guy's not English, mate. Don't care. <laughs> yeah. You see fathers and sons. Uh, Hugging and the child crying while the, yeah. the father puts his arm round. I thought I was going to have to do that to David when Adam <laughs> Cole was. I, I, I just seen the. I'm like, I can already see the camera panning in on us. <laughs> like, hey, listen, <laughs> I said on our All in Review show, I had already reached my state of euphoria when I did the Adam Cole baby chant during his entrance. Like that was a genuine That's moment of satisfaction. Like one of the best best moments of my life. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I I absolutely loved it. Let's talk about um, a weird report now that um, WWE is owned by TKO, and that's a possibility of weight classes and trios titles being introduced to the WWE. Um, Yeah, a a new ranking system as well they were talking about, making it seem more legitimate because obviously AEW, UFC is also under the same banner. They're looking to make it a bit more, a bit more real life sort of thing. What do you think about that? Ooh, it's going to be a little bit tricky with WWE, given that it's a quote unquote scripted sport. But 
I'm pretty sure they've tried to do rank orderings before in like the mid 2010s and stuff, but that was all some PG crap. You know, you would see on Saturday morning slab and stuff, you know, just because a superstar did a really good promo backstage or they exuberate confidence and whatnot. I noting that they've they got a couple of wins, etc., you know, that makes some sense. But in the the bottom line of it was it was that it was just whoever was popular with the fans at that point that were always in the top five, etc. You know, you throw a, a couple of heels in there just to balance it out. But it was it was dog shit as far as I'm concerned, you know, with the, the ranking systems. Weight classes, hmm. I'm not so sure because obviously attitude era to ruthless aggression, you had light heavyweight and the cruiserweight title. The cruiserweight division can be good if it's done correctly. Like ruthless aggression, cruiserweight era, top notch. Like loads of loads of names in there. Although cramming them all into one match in like a multi-person gauntlet or whatnot isn't a good way to put them properly. Like give them their own storylines. Give them their own tag teams. You know, let the cruiserweights compete in the tag team division, etc. You know, have a little bit of crossover, but have a solo title that they can go for as well. And that's why I think worked, uh, you know, with the Ruthless Aggression Cruiserweight era. The 205 Live Cruiserweight era, whilst there was definitely a lot of potential with the Cruiserweight Classic, when it transitioned to the main roster, you know, it kind of kind of fell flat a little bit. I like the idea of trios championships as well, to be honest. Yeah, trios championships. I mean, you've got a... Yeah, I guess it, the, the, it's just going all with the factions, isn't it? So I guess I give Hit Row something to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you've got, you know, the likes of Legado and... Um, Imperium. Imperium, yeah, there's something there. The Rolling there. Brutes. Rolling Brutes, yeah. Judgment so, Day. Yeah, Judgment Day. There's, there's, there's sort of plenty of scope in there. Um, weight classes and all that kind of stuff. And the ranking system, like, I mean, way back in the day... I always remember Jesse Ventura saying this on the early commentaries. You know, if you watch like the early WrestleManias and stuff like that, he'll say that if you're the Intercontinental Champion, that's that that means if you're the Intercontinental Champion, you should be number one contender for the world title. You know, that's mm-hmm. like the stepping stone to get there. Mm-hmm. Like the, TNA the, and the X Division title. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, WPW did it as well with the yeah, US champion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did. You know, the you're, the, problem, you're the second I've, tier champion, yeah. The big problem I've got with it, like saying the ranking system, yeah, you know, the top ten, the number one, then goes to the, you know, to to be the number one contender. It's a storyline driven business, mm. so everyone's got. Well, well, what's everyone's, you know, one really? Well, well, I what's want the world title. Record? Oh yeah, I want the world title. Great. So, well, where are you going to get on this ranking? Why? What? How? How does the ranking work? You know, when you've got to have a, there's a storyline because you've got to have two people just, two people fighting each other for a reason. That's what wrestling's all about. Two people fight each other for a reason. There's a, there's a story behind it. There's a grudge here. There's some problem. And if they don't have that, it's just, well, you're number seven in the chart and I want to be number seven because that gets me closer to number six and that'll make me closer to number one, the contender, and I want to beat you for that. What'd you say? What, what'd you say of that, Butch? I like the, the so I, I found the tweet because I was trying to remember everything that was in it, but it said there's an opinion being dis- sorry an option being discussed backstage for WWE and a whole new title scheme. This was include revamps, new names, weight classes, and trios championships. What I wouldn't mind and why I think that it failed the second time around is that wrestling's changed when the cruiserweight division got brought back in 2016. Wrestling's changed and it's no longer, oh my God, the high flyers from Japan and Mexico, look at these guys, they're different. 
And it's got to the point where, you know, you've got people like Seth Rollins and Finn Balor in the main event. They are guys who are smaller than your average wrestler. You know, they're not Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage or the Ultimate Warrior. They are smaller guys doing <clears throat> dives and flips and hurricane runners and all that. And it meant that the Cruiserweight division didn't really feel special. What I would like would be if you did a New Japan style thing where you have the junior heavyweight division, but it's still treated like in UFC, like in legitimate sports, it is treated like a legitimate division because if you're the best of that division, you're the best of your weight class. And if you want to put weight on, like we've seen Conor McGregor fighting two divisions, he cuts weight for one and then puts weight on for another. I think he was champion in two divisions at one point as well. And you can allow the talent to do that when talent maybe start to get over in the junior heavyweight division and someone isn't getting over in the heavyweight division, you can bump that guy up. And then with the trios title, I like the idea that we can go back to having one tag team title and then the trios title or something else. So tag teams still have stuff to go for while keeping the other tag titles as a special attraction. Mm. And then you could still keep the US and the Intercontinental title as weight-free belts. They're the the like the open weight belts. They're free to for any division to challenge in. And it means that you have junior heavyweights, heavyweights, set styles, matches feel special because you've got big meaty men slapping meat in one division <laughs> and you've got <laughs> you've got your high flyer work rate and the other. And then you've got people coming together in the US and the Intercontinental title division. So I don't hate it, but I can understand why people are worried because every time WWE does a cruiserweight division or a light heavyweight division, sooner rather than later, it doesn't work. And my other problem of anybody trying to step up or step down, you know, when they, you know, try and make weight for a, a different division, they say you get Conor McGregor on two-way world champ. What happens to the majority of people who go and try and jump into another division? They get battered. Yeah. So if it, it, I think it's going to be the same, you know, perception. Oh, he's you know he's he's trying to jump up to you know heavyweight. He's a junior heavyweight. He's going to jump to heavyweight. Yeah, he's you're just going to get squashed, kid. Like yeah. you know, you can incorporate storylines, you know, with guys putting on weight, putting on muscle, or they're shredding to to change weight class. I mean, take that's not that's not fun story, is it? What, what what's that? No, Are they going no, to do like but, TikToks of like what I eat in a day? I mean, but if they. Say if they're like off TV for a reason, you know, if they're on holiday or, you know, they're out with injury and they decide. Well, and it's right, on Stairmaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just show TikToks of them on the Stairmaster, et cetera. You know, they can come back in a new division, start fresh. So I think best example I've seen so far, Shah Samuels, you know, first yeah. time I saw him back in 2014, the guy was a, aye, the guy was a, was a, was a unit. Aye. <laughs> but he's, he's shredded down so much, you know, he's cut off cut alcohol he's put a lot in more cardio and he only just recently won the rev pro cruiserweight title so and then there was also that story about you know when enzo amore finished his feud with Cass, he moved to 205 live and he had to measure down a 205 weight limit all he had to do was just <laughs> i think the storyline reason was all he had to do was take a massive shite and that was <laughs> that was him at the uh at the weight limit but you can sort of incorporate it in some way, especially if there's a gap between one story arc ending and another one beginning. It's doable, but look, the WWE fans want that level yeah. of realism. I'm not, I don't think they do. 
I don't like the idea of a revamp of the title designs itself because they've already brought in a whole bunch of new title designs. You know, they yeah. brought in, you know, the two the two women's titles got a revamp to look exactly like the undisputed title and the world heavyweight title. Like the United States title was changed only three years ago. Intercontinental titles only a few years old. Like, I mean, get rid of the tag titles. Like, you can revamp those. Like, no, no question Just about make that. Make it one belt. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And don't don't make them red or blue. And for the love of God, don't make them circular either. Like I hate that design so much. But don't don't revamp the current designs because I actually like these current designs. It, uh, although I would change the current Intercontinental title back to the the white strap version. But yeah, given the OG, yeah, yeah OG design. Like don't change, don't change the ones you've already changed this year. I mean, otherwise, what was the point? Yeah, no, I, I agree. There is there is a need a need for revamps, but you know, not completely across the board. As you said, maybe the tag titles are due for an upgrade. It's been that design or a version of that design since twenty ten. All they did was change the colour of them. Like that's yeah, it. exactly. All they've done is change the you know, they've went from gold to silver, that's about the it. Black strat and the, the the one pence piece design. Ugh hideous and then they decided to make it red and blue silver for the brand split yeah um let's talk about some backstage drama between santana and ortiz so aew and backstage drama in the same sentence what (laughs) shit the bed (laughs) mike san jesus christ mike santana (laughs) as he's now known as um, it said Pride, Pride and Powerful officially came to an end on September 9th on AEW Collision as Mike Santana made it clear he would be a singles competitor going forward. This has led to a Twitter spat between the former tag partners and it's not part of a storyline. Uh, having fell out in 2022 for personal reasons, Pride and Powerful split up for the simple reason that Santana told Tony Khan after being talked into teaming together at uh, AEW All-In, he would no longer wish to team with Ortiz. Uh, Dave Meltzer saying that Mike Santana doesn't want to team with Ortiz anymore, so that's the basic gist. They agreed to do the tag match from London, and now Santana wants to have a go as a single star. Look, when Santana got hurt, got hurt Ortiz became a de facto singles guy, and you saw what, it, uh, what became of his career in the last year. He almost disappeared. So him as a singles guy is not good for him as he as compared to being a tag team. For Santana, I would say that's the same thing, but he really wants that. It's also, uh, he isn't unhappy in AEW. I understand Ortiz was one of those guys. He's making more money than he's ever been before. And, he's, uh, and if he's not featured or anything, he's okay with that. Santana's less okay with that. He feels he wants more time to wrestle, more exposure and all that. And he was disappointed as a tag team that they were not getting it. So he wanted to go out as a single star. And he also, him and Ortiz had a falling out. So that was the gist of it. Um, they've been a tag team for over a decade, guys. They um, teamed together in 2012, the independent scene. They were in Impact as the new LAX in 2017. Full-time Impact World Champions joined AEW for starting uh, in 2019. Part of the inner circle, part of a lot of big matches in the early stage of AEW's career. They did blood and guts, didn't they? Yeah, it just seems it's gotten so bitter so quickly. Mm. And there was the incident this past week. um, AEW had a lot of production errors and collisions. Some may have been, you know, by choice, some weren't. 
But Kevin Kelly goes to start talking about Mike Santana and you hear a voice come over the, the speaker saying, no, no, we're not talking about him this week. And Mike Santana took to Twitter to say, right, wow, okay, I got you. So more frustration in AEW at the minute. I mean, if Santana wants to have a go as a singles guy, that's fine. But I, I really want to know what the problem and the issue is between those two guys. Mm. Well, did you not explain it like during the when you were reading out the the passage of it? It's like, you know, was it Santana who said it was uh, who wanted to break out as a singles guy? You know, he wanted to compete rather than just sit on a cushy paycheck for from Tony Khan. Like Ortiz, you know, if he's contracted to be paid monthly a very decent salary and not have to worry about you know busting his back out just to try and. Uh, you know, earn a living, you know, he could just sit on that paycheck and just let the money come in. Whereas Santana, I can understand why, you know, he feels like he has to earn it a little bit, or at least this is the impression I'm getting. And maybe, I mean, I don't want to sort of read into things too much, but it sounds like there was a bit of a disagreement, you know, between like, all right, listen, Santana's like, I want to actually go out and compete because this is what I enjoy doing. Ortiz seems to have a bit more of a laid back approach. I don't know what, don't know what you guys think about that. I just think it's pathetic. Just like sort your shit out. Mm-hmm. All right, one of you wants to do one thing, one of you wants to do the other. Stop arguing and make it difficult for everybody else, and including management. Stop uh, moaning. Just like talk. It, it doesn't need to be public. Yeah, just no. Just keep it behind closed doors. Like, but you know, everybody everyone loves a bit of gossip, don't they? So, you know, they want to find out what's going gossip. on. Yeah, everyone loves a bit of juicy gossip backstage, and yeah, you probably got <laughs> Tony Khan there, wide eyed, not knowing what the fuck to do, and. <laughs> Oh, it's just like, lads, sort it out. Just, I can't remember. Who, who was it who used to say, um, nut up or shut up? Just nut up or shut up. Just sort it. Mm. Sort it, boys. Is that on Billy Ray? <laughs> I was going to say Danny Dyer, but... <laughs> Jesus, I don't it, know. I'm just saying it sounds like something you would say. It's just... On, get the title, just, like, flag. <laughs> just like, you sort, your, sort your shit out, boys, and stop just... Acting like small children. You know what? They should have Danny Dyer as like a backstage enforcer, you know, just have them brought in if they start acting up again. It's like, oh, this is how you muggy little cunt. Sort your business <laughs> out or I'll kick you down the trot or kick you the trotters. That's plenty, Jack. Anyway, moving quickly <laughs> on. Um, we mentioned uh, November 4th Crown Jewel. John Cena has advertised for it. It's the last show he's advertised in his uh, short stint return to the company. Um, he is, however, rumoured to be in and around the title picture come Royal Rumble and WrestleMania season. Uh, reports that uh, matches with the Bloodline and Solo Sokoa have been discussed as part of a programme either at the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania itself. Cena in the Rumble, Solo eliminates them, Solo v Cena at WrestleMania. Give it to me now. I'm all for it. I remember, I think they tweeted up a picture I don't know if it was Cena or Solo that tweeted it, but it was one shot of him and Solo being face-to-face on the Grayson Waller effect and a similar photo of him face-to-face with Umaga back in 2007. I think you mean Umanga. <laughs> Bloody Umanga. <laughs> it's the thing with, with Cena again. I It's like The Rock. He ain't sticking around. So, whereas it's... I'll tell you that, like... Yeah, being at Money in the Bank, the surprise pop for Zena was incredible. Just to watch it, it was like, oh my God, this is John Cena. This is brilliant. And 
you know, he's all he, he always gives you hundred and ten percent. He gives everything, and he, you know, he, you know, he'll be there every time that company calls. But you know, putting him in those kind of positions, I'm, I'm just looking now, and I know obviously Hollywood's on a you know on, on strike at the moment, so these things aren't really happening. But he's got one, two, three. He's got three film, four films in post production, and he's got a few in pre and one completed. He ain't sticking around. What's the point of giving him a title? Uh, when you say post-production, is that like all the editing and... Yeah, know, I guess so. I mean, it, it, I'm just looking at his IMDb list in here, and he's got uh, Argyll, uh, he's got Ricky Stanicki, Coyote versus Acme, yes, come on, uh, Grand Death Lotto, and the uh, Jansen Directive, all in post. Wait, wait, Grand Death Lotto? Grand Death Lotto. I'm going to have a look. at. He's playing a guy called Noel, which is a great name. He's a Paul, uh, Paul Feig movie. Um, it's got, uh, oh, it's got Aquafina in it. Come on. Sean William Scott, Simi Lou. What a cast. Steffler, yes. Yeah, what a cast. Actually, this is a really good cast. I want to know more about this film now I'm looking at it. It's obviously going to be ridiculous, but yeah, this that's a hell of a cast. Right, David Campbell does first-time films. We do the wrestling here, so you don't think it's happening is what the short answer there was, Yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, that's it. He's got the Jensen Directive, which is about a former Navy SEAL and prisoner... This sounds like a WWE movie production. Former Navy SEAL and prisoner of war, Paul Jensen works as a corporate security consultant, uh, but when he's assigned to rescue a VIP, it goes wrong and he's forced to go on the run. Maybe that's why he ends up at WrestleMania. <laughs> retreats to Philadelphia and ends up with a like a big Samoan man in his path who knows not for the first time so let's say from John Cena to last week's big question obviously we opened the show myself and Scott reviewing Impact 1000 part 1 and our question was this week in honour of Impact 1000, what's your favourite moment or match in TNA and who is your favourite wrestler? So, um, David, I'll go. I'll read your comment last because we can mm-hmm. talk about that there. Sure. Um, Callum Bennett says, call me Kurt Angle. Angle's debut without question. Uh, David right. Campbell saying, favourite moment is the formation of Main Event Mafia. Uh, brilliant stable. Favourite TNA wrestler and gimmick is easily the beautiful people. Huge missed opportunity by WWE not signing them. Uh, Styles Joe Daniels three-way for the best match is Alan Laurie and favourite TNA wrestler Shark Boy Shell yeah um, <laughs> a triple th- Anthony, Fitz- Anthony Fitzpatrick says the triple threat match at Unbreakable is always going to go down as a uh, uh, always be going to be the go-to, sorry. However, my favourite was the best of five series match versus with beer money and more set machine guns. Being some iconic funny moments as well. The lethal flare woo off, Steiner Math pro- promo and Booker T fighting while mic'd up whilst in the mafia. Oh, it was, was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity not putting the title on Monty Brown at some point, I agree. Um David the you said, Marcus Corvon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels at Unbreakable 2005 is the epitome of Impact TNA and arguably the best match in company history. Any of these guys could lay claim to be Mr. TNA, but any time I watched it, it would always be to tune in for AJ Styles, him winning his first world championship was such a big crowning moment in, a, in of itself. So that was your comment, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else to add to that? Uh, nothing really. Like All I can really is... Whenever I think of Impact Wrestling, TNA Wrestling, the first guy that comes to my head is AJ Styles. 
like whenever I watch the wrestling channel when I had Sky TV and that's when oh, they've aired when they aired <laughs> I know yeah then they aired TNA in the mid two thousands there I would always tune in to watch AJ Styles because you know he was he was breaking out moves like nobody's business you know springboard shooting star corkscrew planches four fifty splashes the guy was a oh the the guy was a machine just absolutely flying everywhere and it's so fitting that his theme song was called Get Ready to Fly because that's all he really did but. He didn't quite win the big one until, you know, at least a few years down the line. And just seeing that, it was it was epic, you know, with all the, the fans gathering in the ring and actually hoisting him up. It He felt like a man of the people. And that's why I think what defines a top name in a, in a wrestling company. It doesn't matter if it's a small indie promotion or, you know, like a big corporate promotion. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, John, any favourite matches, moments, wrestlers, anything? Well, obviously that triple threat from 2005, that was the that was the one. I think that was probably the best match in TNA history. I know a lot of people would, you know, talk about that the Ultimate X stuff. The, the Ultimate X with that um was it Elix Skipper who did the the run across the cage? Oh yeah. yeah. Was that, that six sides of steel? Yeah, that was the one. That was absolutely Such incredible, an epic wasn't spot. it? Oh so good. Um and you, you could just watch that on repeat, that that one spot. It was just amazing. Uh, I loved seeing Angle there. I think Angle had a really good run. Uh, when it comes to anybody, you think about that. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels. They're the ones that always stick out in my mind, especially AJ. I think AJ was, uh, was without a doubt, Mr. Impact, Mr. TNA, mm-hmm. uh, however you want to, uh, however you want to say it. Um, and, you know, obviously the one big Impact wrestling moment, one that we all remember, uh, it's got to be Jeff Hardy and Sting, isn't it? Oh, Christ. <laughs> Well, that'll come up in a little minute. Um, we'll bring that up. Um, my favourite match, just because I, I, I still love James Storm to this day. He's not been as over as he was at this Remember event. Remember his little NXT run, by the way? Oh, yeah. yeah. Came in, beat three jobbers, left. Um, <laughs> uh, he faced Leighton Buzzard at ICW Shugs at 2019, I think it was. Wow. The, the, same, so. the same weekend where Kushida came over. Oh. Um, so my favourite Impact match takes place at Lockdown 2012 in Nashville, Tennessee, James Storm's hometown. It was him against Bobby Roode for the TNA World Championship inside yes. the stadium. It looked like it was going to be James Storm's moment. He hits the super kick only to knock Bobby Roode to the floor. Uh-huh. Oh my God. I was, I was raging and I hated Bobby Roode at the time. He was so good. In fact, I'll tell you this one now uh, because I I don't like him now because he's became a bit of a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a <laughs> bit of a COVID denier. I'm with but you. Yep. Austin Aries at Destination X, the start of Option C. I absolutely loved this. Him beating Bobby Roode, it was a sensational back and forward match. And when he eventually gets, because they were. Building up about, this is the time the X Division title became sort of a cruiserweight title. They put a weight limit on it. Austin Aries, they were making it as if he couldn't lift the heavier Bobby Roode. He gets him up for the brain buster and when he hits it, the pop, it was sensational. I loved every minute of it. So yeah, Austin Aries beating Bobby Roode and Bobby Roode beating James Storm in 2012. Tied for my favourite matches, I think. Um... Favourite wrestlers, watching back then, it's AJ Styles. That's everyone's go-to. 
he was Mr. TNA, as you mentioned. I think nowadays, you know, just for a sheer entertainment point, see the past two years, Joe Hendry's been sensational. Joe Hendry yeah. has been... It, it's something WWE don't have. You know, WWE, so Impact have the world title, the X Division title, and then they have like a secondary mid-card title with the, the Digital Media Championship. It seems to be... WWE, it's the world, and then it's either the US or IC. They're always on the same level. There's not like a muck around title. He just made that title so fun. Mm-hmm. And his tag team with uh, Yuya Yutamura at the minute has been absolutely great. Bring back yeah, the Internet they... Championship. <laughs> yeah, he's been really good, especially when he did that um, that video package. You know, he does the parody music videos. The one he did for Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. Oh, yeah, brilliant. And I'm pretty sure Jordan Grace tweeted out that everybody in the back, when this aired, they were crying with laughter in the same way that everybody backstage was crying with laughter when Titus World Slide happened at Greatest Royal Rumble. (laughs) Um, So we've mentioned best. Let's talk about the worst. This is our big question this week, guys, and you guys can comment as well. What is the worst moment of Impact Wrestling history? I know in the Hogan-Bischoff era, there was a few. Worst moment, worst matches, least favourite wrestler, a booking decision you hated, anything. What was the worst of Impact Wrestling? Because we've done the best, but because they're doing a two-part Impact 1000, we'll do a two-part question. We've done the best, and we're going to do the worst. Um, I'll leave you guys because we've went a bit longer here. I'll let you comment on the page with your answers, but thank you very much for joining us this week. Nice one. Yeah, thank you very much. For us, yeah. Thank you very much, Scott, for reviewing Impact uh, 1000 Part 1 with me. Join us next week. We'll review Impact Part 2 and we'll be looking ahead to Wrestle Dream and NXT No Mercy. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on each Superplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the East Meets Superplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.